as this broadcast is intended for mature audiences. In the following podcast, there will be thoughts and opinions expressed that in no way reflect your federation, this station, website, or affiliated partners. Who is this? How dare you... Who I am is not important. Listen to discretion is... Klingon best. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Trips. Her ongoing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new content and new stuff. To follow the girl word, no podcast has gone forth. Hello and welcome to Tribbles and Ecstasy, episode 256. I'm your host, Ben Night Shadow, and joining me today, we have got. Oh my god, you guys. I saw it. I saw it. It's not a ghost story. It's real. It's really, really real. Hi, everybody. It's Sun. And it's not a conspiracy. These dreadnoughts are real, man. (laughs) (laughs) Someone's been getting to that stuff today. Timberwolf here. How's it going, guys? So, first of all, let's head into Star Trek Online News. To begin with, about an hour and a half ago, we had a live stream that started from the Perfect World um, team with some Stow devs. Um, they were showing off the Enterprise J on their Twitch channel. Um, you should be able to still see the video at twitch.tv forward slash perfect world underscore community. But if you're listening to if you're listening to us live right now, please stay here. Watch it after the show. <laughs> so um, I'm not, I think they've finished now. Um, I had to cut out after half an hour to um, finish getting ready for the show. Yeah, I think they middle of was in the middle of writing PC notes in our show notes and was asked to cook dinner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good thing you can multitask. Um, so yeah, they showed off the costumes for some of the other ships as well. Um, so um, yeah, it is quite interesting to watch. Um, so um, yeah, go take a look. If you can't remember the URL, it will of course be in our show notes. 
Oh, and again, um, if you're listening to the remastered version, finish listening to the episode and then go watch it. <laughs> so, event calendar for the PC this weekend. Um, if you're listening live, there's an R&D pack sale and a weekend Luby store sale. Both of them end Monday 9th, sorry, Monday 9th, Monday 13th of March. So the R&D sale gives you 20% off all the R&D packs. Yes, that so, includes the regular packs and the bundle pack. Indeed. And the weekend Luby store, um, that's offering 20% off as well. And if All the things are 20% off in the store. Yep, so, and if you're listening to this later in the week, then you've missed you've it. You've missed it. But ho- hopefully you were able to notice that there's a sale and actually get it. As yeah, they usually do have this stuff on the launcher. It's just a shame they don't start advertising these things a little bit earlier. Anyways, as we said, there was a live stream because of the new 26th century dreadnoughts. Um... This has come out with them being part of the R&D box. Hence, of course, um, you being able to get 20% off. So, in these packs, you can get the Temporal Heavy Dreadnought Cruiser, Tier 6 Universe Class for Starfleet only, which is the Enterprise J. And then for the Klingons, the tier 6 dreadnought battle cruiser that you've got is the Bortescu B and how do you pronounce it Durgath? I, I yeah, I would say Durgath. Durgath Temporal Heavy Dreadnought Battle Cruiser. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. And for the Romulans, you've got the Valkis Temporal Heavy Dreadnought Warbird which is tier 6 and is known as the Baratan Warbird B. Now, okay, so for those of you who don't understand what I went I went through the process of looking through some of the some of the ships available and saying what is the Klingon and the Romulan equivalent of these dreadnoughts. And a lot of people would go, Oh, well they're you know, they're the the natural conclusion looking at the Klingon dreadnought is oh, it's a new version of the Bortasku, which from a design perspective, if they're not making a unique battlecruiser, they keep going back to the Bortoscu design. Pretty Has much. anybody else noticed that? Yeah. The command cruisers all look like Bortoscu variants just squished, and now this temporal dreadnought is a really long version of the Bortoscu. But it is a nice design. Yes! It just... <laughs> it, 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 it's a nice design, Yes. There's just all of this ill will surrounding the old version of the Bortoscu, which, I don't know, is the team at Cryptic always trying to poke this hole and go, hey, hey, buy this new version of the Bortoscu? Because that's what it feels like when they come out with this stuff. But that's just me. As for the Valkus, I, the, a lot of people go, the Valkus looks weird. That doesn't look like anything we, we have. Yes and no. I've seen a lot of people try and compare it to the... Um, the scimitar and on some level yes it could be because you have those forward sweeping wings but if anything it is closer to the the baratan warbird which its wings are flat but swept up forward 
which is what this design mimics almost. Just a whole hell of a lot sleeker. Also, the Romulan one is bad ass. These things are monstrous. It looks like something a ninja is going to throw at you, to be honest. <laughs> is it are, just me? <laughs> these things are huge. Okay, I I fly around right now. My my Sarah Palin Tellarite knockoff is flying around in the Lakari ship, and the Lakari ship is only slightly wider than the uh, the Federation battlecruiser, the the Avenger class, I think. Um um, and. It's not longer than the Avenger class, but it's wider. And this, I was, I was in the game. I was in the game. I was running the Gates of Grethor Advanced, and all of a sudden, my ship seemed to just disappear as it, like, leapt up 10, 10 to twenty kilo, kilometers away from the group of other ships, and suddenly, above me. This Romulan temporal dreadnought just shows up. It doesn't even have a warp in animation. It just appeared <laughs> like it decloaked, but without the decloaking sound. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I literally <laughs> said in local chat, whoa. And somebody, the person in that ship responded, lol. This thing is huge. <laughs> the thing is so huge. The only thing I really got a good look at was its bridge, which is tucked back a bit, and its butt, its tail. Which, guys, remember how we were talking earlier about the the Romulan science ships being weird unless the Singularity Core was in the little Vulcan thing, a Vulcan ring, the Alcubaire ring? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a hole in the back of the Valkyrie that is the Singularity Core. Like, the Singularity Core is it, is, it is exposed to space, and it is functioning on the back of this ship. Well, that's not cool. I, I just... Because I, I, <laughs> what you're this describing is, to me is, literally, I, dr I dropped the shields on this starship. If it was in a, an actual show, I dropped the shields on this, line it up just right, and a single 5% power blast from phasers would blow up this whole ship. Because I would be able to shoot straight at the core. And just destabilize well, well, it. Well, well, no, there's a there's a green shielding around the the core itself. The same. Okay, so a, okay, so a torpedo. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. But there'd be a whole hell of a lot of fighting going on for you just to get there in the first place. True. Because the thing has these these ships have a massive amount of armament. Like like it took me. A while to copy just the stats down because there's so much on these ships, including <laughs> the fact that they're full carriers. Well, that yeah. <laughs> well, these things in, are everything right now. In chat, Ogopskish says, "If you have the NX and Universe class ships fighting side by side as equals now." <laughs> and Alex Wonder has said. Well, this temporal dreadnought looks like Bortescue, or even the Negvar, and the Vulture, or D7 Katinga, um, had a baby. I mean, one part bulky, bulky hammerhead design, one part sleek, elongated, very simple, yet elegant design. Yeah, I can't say I don't. I, I, I kind of do like the Klingon version, well, even if it is a rehash. 
the the reason <laughs> the reason the Klingon one looks any halfway decent at all is because those nacelles aren't big and bulky like Klingon nacelles normally are. They're sleek. It's as if somebody went to the Federation shipyards where the where the uh, universe class was being built and stole the designs for the universe nacelles and then just made them Klingon. True. That's exactly um, what it looks like. One thing that Alex has put in our chat was a tweet from Jam Jams. Um, he put out a picture of the moon and says, if the ships were in orbit at the same distance as the ISS, the International Space Station, this is how big those ships would look from the ground. Oh, God. <laughs> and yes, they are that big. But again, if you look, they're a whole hell of a lot more wide than they are long. See, that's the thing that's that's been batted back and forth uh, before and after the implementation of the J in the Agents of Yesterday timeline stuff in yeah. the story. Was that beforehand, everybody in the dev team was like, we could never put the J in game unless it was some static model off in the back, like the um, the big Voth dreadnought things that, you, that what we're doing right now for the breach. You know, it's a static model and we're doing things around it, but nothing on it because it's just so huge. And then come to find out when they... I guess, got a look at the model that was used from Enterprise, like the computer models. They go, that thing's wider than it is long. We could work with that. And then that's how that naturally came into being. And then even during the storyline, you got this, yeah, it's huge, but I mean, it's huge, but we have things that long in-game already. It's just wider than anything we've ever made. Pretty much. I mean, when you're when you guys are running around on your anorex, it's kind of the same length. It may be a little bit longer, but it's still the same length. These ships are just hugely wide, except for the Klingon one. Yeah, it's already been made a question as to whether the Enterprise J and the Romulan Dread will actually fit through certain tunnels. Um, and uh, was it? ports and all that and the uh, cubes are in missions can, can can the galaxy class and the valkyrie class run <laughs> run the breach no the there's there's a, sort of yeah they can kind of make it through there and it's awkward <laughs> but hey the people in these ships have had the hassle of trying to run those things in those ships and now we're seeing a lot of the other cues starting to pop now Yep. Like Gates of Grethor, Days of Doom. These ships are showing up in those queues because they can't play the breach right now. Because it won't fit hardly. Oh, does it not fit? <laughs> like, yeah, the, the, the Valkyrie and the Galaxy have a real hard time doing the trench run on the breach because they're almost as wide as the breach trench itself. Yeah. So by the time by the time they get to the end, you know, the end of the trench where it splits off into two, they kinda they kinda have no place to go. Yeah. They have to sit there and wait for the little thing that says, hey, we we found the thing that you need to puncture. And then they hit the little button and they'll warp over there. And then the same thing goes for when you're going through the interior of the Voth city ship. 
They can't, barely... even, they, can't even, they can't even maneuver at a quarter impulse without having to stop and turn the ship. Yeah, it's, it is kind of funny, though. Uh, don't. Uh, yeah, not what you needed. Uh, Always fun. Okay. Um, so, the stats on these things. Um, uh, okay, for those of you who are interested in the bridge officer seating... The, both of these come with a command, a commander engineer slash temporal operative bridge officer, and a lieutenant commander universal slash command bridge officer station. So it's a hybrid. It's a hybrid of a hybrid. Yeah. Um, if you're piloting, if you're piloting, if you're piloting the Enterprise J, that lieutenant commander universal has to be Lucari, and that engineer has to be Zindi. <laughs> Why? Because immersion. <laughs> well. Because canon, right? Okay, that's true. It's like we pulled we pulled Archer into the we pulled Archer into the Enterprise J, and here's Daniel's going. Yeah, but you see, we we kind of have this thing where the the we have the Zindi on the ship right now fighting these sphere builders, and at the same time, you have you have like Daniel uh, um, Caldano who is through all of that temporal stuff now in our story and it's like it's only natural that there has to be a Lucari officer on the new flagship of the Federation now the stats that we have for these ships can Timberwolf have you had a chance to check out much in the way of these uh, consoles that you get uh no I haven't to be honest with you um only one or two of my friends actually gotten it and they haven't gotten a chance to link because I don't even think they've opened them yet. They're probably still debating selling them because they're still Those going things. for. Yeah, right now the the bottom price that I saw was nine hundred and fifty mil, and that was the quote unquote sale price. Yeah, that the... was it being on sale at a discount. Yeah, they're debating whether they want to sell them or not because the average I think I've seen is one point five billion EC. It'll go down, but here it is. What day two of the promotion? They're expensive, and most people that have them are just debating whether they really want to keep it or if they want to sell it and go for trying to get another one. And you people thought the Anorex was expensive. Yeah. I mean, it's it's basis as far as its console and trade is all about survival and healing. And it looks like max power levels, not only for yourself, but for your nearby allies. So, so it could you know be, what's, you know could be really helpful. Funny. You know what's really funny? So we, I was doing the Gates of Grethor mission, right? Naturally, everybody wants to go to one side and then hurry over to the other because it's advanced. So there's that timer for extra marks. Mm-hmm. Oh, so we all go one way and the Dreadnought goes the other. We get the thing. We get the one side tackled down and are heading over to the other. And the, the Dreadnought blows up. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't remember seeing any of the powers being used by the Dreadnought as the Dreadnought was going down. The Dreadnought just went down. I mean, hell, the thing's got a lance built into it, even. It's got two. It has two lances. Well, they've got the gravitic lance built into right, it, Then you've got the, the molecular is, deconstruction beam that's built into it. Which is also a lance. Yeah. So... Yeah, you should be using these things.
It was just funny. This thing that is bigger than I am is over off by itself fighting Voth. It got through the first wave over at the... I don't remember it, what, which one it was. Um, but it got through the first wave, and then it's just the the... The, the second big carrier class that shows up. Not the Dreadnought, but the, you know, the big one. Yeah. Um, it's fighting that and the second wave of the little cruisers. And, and it just, it just, it disappears. It doesn't like fold into a singularity and explode. It just, it just disappeared. <laughs> like, what the hell? You died? That just makes it funny. And here I am, here I am in my itty bitty, Dwarfed by this ship, Lucari ship, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm pulling aggro even with the captain's ability that makes it that I am, am losing, like, aggro. <laughs> so here yeah. I am, like, doing all this damage, and this, this other ship just blows up, and I'm like, what, 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 what? But then well, again, I figured they hit the, the ma- new massive ship. They were indestructible. Obviously, well, they're not. It is, it is only day two, so they don't they don't have like. Well, they could have. It would be. It would be. It would have been a hell of a grind. But it is possible that they could have had their mastery ship trait. But I don't think they they had yet because they weren't indestructible. By the time you get to tier four of whatever your mastery stuff is, even without the in trait at tier five, you're kind of tanky as hell yeah because you're going off of that mastery i mean you're all about it's pretty much the same mastery that the odyssey classes have you're not getting extra damage output you're getting a lot of damage resistance extra hull and hull repair a passive hull repair so you're getting a lot that helps you survive so you should be able to have extra bonuses just for survival and then if you tack on extra survival you can get to where you're not killable or you just tack on a lot of stuff to just kill things. Could you imagine? Could you imagine a <laughs> a PvP revamp where Karat has its own section for those dreadnoughts? Oh God! So a Federation one comes in, and a Klingon one comes in, and a Romulan one comes in, and the only one that survives is the Klingon. Why? Because it has the better maneuverability. That's true. <laughs> well, to get these ships, um, basically you need to purchase um, an R&D pack um, from the sea store and open it. And you'll either receive 10 Lobi crystals or a special requisition pack which contains the 26th century heavy dreadnought tier 6 ships. And I will say the, the drop rate, it is still the exact same drop rate that the Anorax had. So I mean you're not you're not seeing anything better or worse. Though I have seen some people get one of these new dreadnoughts off of five boxes. You're not seeing anything better or worse, but it's still RNG and the prize is constantly popping up on the screens that have the news thing. Constantly. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah, but the the whole thing I've learned with the news feed is yeah they're popping up constantly because they've learned that there is some RNG that's shared server wide, but it's not showing how many boxes people are opening before they get them, and that's the big thing. Like so, one two of my friends two of my friends got one off of five boxes, then a fleet mate got one out of forty, and then there's people on Facebook that are saying they've opened three hundred and haven't gotten anything. 
Look, this is the same problem I have with the Phoenix boxes. It's all RNG, and my RNG luck sucks. Yeah. This is why I don't play Overwatch as often as I used to. My leveling up to opening the box sucks. I mean, it's the I, only way to get like premium currency and all the other stuff. I mean, I get why they're not just a straight purchase, because this is a lot more money influx for them. But at the same time, you could guarantee people would buy them, even if they were character-bound. They would buy them from the C-Store. They are character-bound. No, I'm saying if they're character bound, even if they're character bound in the C store, people would still buy them for the guaranteed. I have the starship. Oh yeah, no shit. <laughs> but but the, I understand why they do the R and D. It's you know it, it is a money seller, and with the amount of boxes being opened, they're getting their their money, you know their their profit out of it. To they're, me, they're getting I just their profit out of it. The people who want the ship are getting their ship, and the people who are doing it because well. They can make more money off of the stuff of getting the one ship and an yeah. ass load of R&D materials are going, I'm saving for the future. <laughs> it is, um, although I would really like um, the J, I'm not sure if I'm going to get any of these R&D packs because, well, I've just spent money on getting three, four hundred of the Phoenix boxes. I mean, for me, honestly, I bought, I got four boxes because they were on sale. But even if you look at the price of the box nowadays, I mean, even on sale, four is 800 Zen. So you're looking at four boxes for $8. Now, if you get a ship out of that, great. But if you're looking at people that are getting 100 of these boxes or 200 and they're still not getting anything, to me, it ends up just being more worth it if you buy a few of the boxes, sell them on the exchange and buy and sell keys like always. Because um, four of the boxes, I bought four additional boxes that I didn't open. I sold them on the exchange for 16 million EC each. So I, you know, I made 64 million off of four boxes. And then keys go for an average of 5.6 to 5.8 million each on an average day. Yet. You're still well, going to spend the keep, money, you but... Keep, you, keep, you keep spending your real-world money to make in-game money. I'll keep... Um, oh, no. No. I I do maybe keep, 20 bucks a, every two I'll months. Kind of, I'll keep kind of uh, not wholly abusing the in-game systems to make my money, thank you. Because convenience over practicality and cheapness, right? No, I'll, the only time I really get, get into that... Is when I've got a lot of dilithium. That's why I'm cycling my tunes for this Voth. I mean, I don't even expect to get the ship. I mean, if they're going to go for an average that I'm seeing of close to a billion each, I could I could dump a paycheck into this and still probably not get it because they're going for so much. I don't. To me, it's not worth it. If a friend of mine, one of my friends in game, they get a spare, they want to donate to me or something like that, cool. But it's not something I intend to go after. Besides, so if I'm putting about, any kind of zen in the game, it's for dilithium so I can upgrade gear. And that's probably like have, 10 bucks. I do have to say, the weirdest thing about these ships is not the ships themselves. It's their fighter pets. Okay, these what's wrong with fighter pets? These fighter pets are weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of like the Cestus. Like yeah, I like the Cestus fighters on the, um, on the Universe class. Yeah, they showed them on um, the live stream. They look quite good, actually. I just think they're weird. Well, to me, considering the size, we're talking about frigates. I mean, we're talking about 
If we were to do I mean, a it's proper, a, it's, a, it's a it's a freaking boomerang with the nacelles on the ends of the boomerang, and then like a hull attached to it. Yeah, but then again, you look at the Enterprise J, and it looks like the nacelle is being held onto the pylon by a piece of floss. Just saying, twenty sixth century is weird. Don't don't even don't even get me started on the monstrous saucer section slash head of the Basaro, because <laughs> it it looks like a bird of prey until you look at its head, and then you're like, what? What? <laughs> These ships are just kind of weird. I mean, even the Karul the, of the of the of the little of the little pets, the 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 Krayul is probably the most okay to me, and that's because it looks like an itty bitty version of the ship that it's popping out of. Yeah. Well, for people who are interested in it, the ships all come with two hangar bays. Um, they have a ability called um, Gravitic Lance. Um, they've got a passive ability called Energy Distributor and a universal console Energy Distributor Accelerator, a Starship Trait Repair Mode, as well as the Frigate Pets, which I just mentioned. So the Gravitic Lance, um, that's basically derived from the technology behind the Toxutat, um, but the weapon is much more predictable and stable. So the devastating weapon fires a cylindrical blast of radiation that deals heavy damage, lingering damage over time, and causes massive power drain to all its enemies. This ability and cylinder radius scales with the number of cycled energy cycles your starship possesses. At a maximum 40 cycled energy charges, this ability cylindrical radius is tripled. Now, one question I'm going to have for this, for anybody that has gotten lucky enough to get this ship, going on the description of that Gravitic Lance, I mean, it's doing radiation damage, which a lot of times radiation damage can be boosted by particle generators in-game. And you've got an energy drain, which typically energy drain is boosted by your um, drain expertise. I'm just curious if that Gravitic Lance gets its abilities boosted by your skills, your particle generator skill and your drain expertise skill, or if it's a static number, no matter what, sometimes I think it's it's probably going to be a static number based on the cycled energy charges, just by the fact of them adding that mechanic specifically to it. It's probably just a static. And I just, well, I'm just curious because sometimes they, you know, they, they make it, they make a goof and it's boosted by both. And then they fix it later, or well, it's meant to be, and no, they don't just say it. Like I'm just curious. Well, here's a question: Is the the Tholeron radiation pulse thing is that is that boosted by um, exotic particle generators? I don't know. That comes on the tarantula. No, 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 no. That's scimitar ability. The Thaleron radiation oh. burst. I don't know, but I can ask uh, someone that's got it real quick. Because if that's if if because essentially what's going on with the gravitic lance is that just as a different thing. I mean, I'm just, it could not be. But something you know, something tells me they could have put it in there and not mentioned it, or it could be a goof, at least for the time being. I just wouldn't mind hearing if someone that has the ship already, if they can test it. 
You realize, Timberwolf, that if it is a goof and it is moddable with the the particle generator ability, you're going to be blamed for this. Oh, I know. But I'm also thinking about what some of the high-end community might do with this. Because um, if you're talking about – if someone wants to push it to its limits and they're using the normal meta that's around nowadays, which is threat tanking, you're already using exotic particle consoles to boost feedback pulse. Um, and you've already got a leech in there, so you could be dealing with something. You're trying to boost your feedback pulse, and you find that you've also boosted this lance to do even more damage that, um, than it's supposed to. And then you've got maximum stacks for the pulse, so the, the radius and the damage is tripled, plus it's boosted by EPG. Just saying. So it, it could be a thing, or it could not be. Okay. So the energy distributor, um, this is capable of cycling surplus power to nearby allies. So this is the passive skill um, that grants small power level bonus to temporary heavy dreadnought and up to four allies, but only within five kilometers. So, so if you've got if you've got friends who run efficiency builds, which which. For those of you who don't know what an efficiency build is, it's where you artificially handicap power levels so they're evenly distributed across the board, like I do with my build, so they're all sitting at somewhere between 75 and 80% power across the board. This is going to add power to that! And the Universal Console, the Energy Distributor Accelerator, um, when that's activated, it improves the temporary heavy... Temporary, the temporal heavy dreadnoughts energy distributor passive ability by greatly boosting power levels, boosting maximum power levels slightly, and also greatly boosting the energy transfer rate of you and up to five nearby allies. Additionally, cycled energy charges will be periodically granted, and each of the user's cycled energy charges will reduce the recharge time of the gravitic lance. <sighs> So it does say like, as like I said, there's a lot of stuff here. These ships are everything right now. They are everything. They're a carrier. They're a cruiser. They have they have an energy lance. They have the temporal version of the energy lance. They yeah. have a universal console and a starship trait, and they have unique uh, hangar pets. Yeah, I'm looking at the wiki right now because it's it's up on the STO wiki. I mean, you're looking at two hangar bays. Two hybrid seats, molecular reconstruction with that beam as well. So you have molecular reconstruction, carrier carrier commands. You have two cruiser commands. So you've got carrier and cruiser commands on the same starship. A universal console. Starship trait to keep you alive. Yeah. It's got quite a bit on it to help you. The ship right now is literally everything. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be the end-all, be-all if you're going for the high-end, but... Add the, Lu- you wanna- add the Lucari console, add the Lucari console, and your ship is unbreakable. <laughs> I mean, you can get it to where it is. Now, PvP is a different monster, but PvE? Yeah, player versus environment, you might be able to make it unbreakable. I mean, they've got... Yeah, they've even got the um, Admiralty card up. And the Admiralty card gives you plus 20 tack and engineering when alone. Imagine the Romulan version of this ship. The Romulan version of this ship with 
No plasma beam weapons on it. Replace all of the plasma beamed weapons with Tetrion we- based weapons. And okay. keeping 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 the plasma torpedoes and then all of the singularity powers and tell me that isn't game breaking. Alright, well I'll give you I'll raise you I've got the stats on the Universal Console, thanks to the wiki. A static passive bonus of 20% flight turn rate, but can turn better. 20% directed energy damage boost. Now, the math is probably, it's either a category 1, which means it's going against your base damage numbers, or potentially, because sometimes the consoles will vary, it could be a category 2, which it's calculated in around the same time as alpha and all that, and the equations velgon on reddit does a lot better describing it but you're getting a passive energy damage bonus and then when you activate it to everybody including yourself within five kilometers plus 10 max all power levels for 20 seconds you gain one um, energy counter for 60 seconds for each ally within 5k maximum five targets including yourself every second it reduces the recharge time on your gravitic lance and that scales with the power charges. And then your allies get, at the same time, an additional plus 15 all current power levels and plus 150% power transfer rate for 20 seconds. So you're boosting your own max power and current power levels, your power transfer rate, and you're gaining extra stacks for your gravitic lance and you're reducing the recharge time on it so you could potentially use it faster. Well, here's here's another question. Do do the hanger pets have power levels? Like stuff that you can't control but do they have innate power levels? They, they do never... rank up with their stars. Yeah, they never discuss power levels, but, but they do get rank up ability. Right, I, uh, under- but I understand. With that the, with rank- that the rank up ability, they get more accurate the DPS goes up, and I think power levels, wouldn't they be going up as well? I mean, I would imagine so. Mm. It's like I'm saying, now, this is what I'm thinking. If this if this is applicable to hanger pets, you could have hanger pets on escort and target yourself the whole time, because... LOL? <laughs> and just sit there and build charges for your lance. Now, for regarding the power boosts... Um, they did put a note in saying the max power boosts from this ability, and this is the energy distributor accelerator still, um, does not stack with other plus max power boosts. So just something to bear in mind. Yeah, they're, they're trying to make it where you can't boost the max power, but the, even without that, you can overstack aux power. Um, there's a hidden non-cap for aux power, so technically it can... Even if it's not visible, aux power can be stacked well above 125 without without any boosts. Oh, that's been around Tell for. Them that shit. Oh no, that's that's known by the devs. That's known <laughs> by the devs. Tell that's, them that shit because then they're gonna fix it. No, that's known by the devs. They haven't done. They haven't said nothing about it because they know about it. I mean, it's just... See, this is this is why I run an efficiency build because if somebody wants to throw out max power, mm-hmm. hey, cool! I'm already running high levels of power across the board, so that I can kind of sit there and tank stuff. Yeah. Well, regarding the repair mode, which is the starship trait, 
after reaching level 5 in the temporary heavy dreadnoughts ship mastery you will unlock the repair mode starship trait while this is slotted and you suffer more than 10% of your hit points in a 3 second period you'll gain one repair mode counter on receiving your third repair mode counter you'll immediately become disabled gain a very high increase to damage resistance and a large amount of temporary hit points you'll also gain a power heal over time effect for the duration of the repair mode now so it's essentially it cuts your ship down and then turns it into the um ablative armor power hmm you become like super like resistant to just about everything and you can't be- and because you're disabled you can't fire anything but you're also getting healed at the same time you're disabled so um so yeah that's what the abilities read as i want to see what enemy is coming that is going to be able to chip off 10% of one of these dreadnoughts health in 3 seconds am i the now, only one that's interested in seeing that nah I wouldn't mind seeing that now. So, the R&D packs where you can get these ships from is running until, I think it's April 14th, isn't it? Yeah, it's a couple of weeks. It's April 3rd, sorry. Not April 14th. Um, My mistake. It's a couple of weeks. So, yeah, March 9th to Monday, April 3rd. so you've got until that time to get your R&D boxes and to open them. So I'm not sure if after the event that one of the following things might happen, which they've done both in the past. One is the R&D boxes become just R&D boxes. And the other thing that they've done is those particular packs when purchased during that event stay as those special packs. So. I'm going to go with they're going to stay with that because what I've seen pop up on the exchange recently and what I've seen in chat pop up is the 23rd century temporal light cruisers, your T6 Constitution class, your T6 D7. Those promotion packs are on the exchange currently. They did not change status. And I'm thinking they did that because they know a lot of people buy them to sell them over the long term. So people can still have an option to get the ship. Wait, but you I, mean people buy ships to flip the ships for a more expensive price? <laughs> what? You say say it isn't so. But it just goes to, if you were to look up on the exchange, you could still find the promotional boxes from when they were doing the Tier 6 original series Constitution class. So they're, they're still around. So there's a good chance that this particular promotion as well could still be active well beyond the April 3rd deadline. What do you mean that before it was locked up, Klingons went to the hangar area of their shipyards and bought hangar pets and sold them on the exchange for 10 and 20 times more expensive? Sorry, that still pisses me off because that was my main money maker. <laughs> I, would, I would literally go to DS9 and I would stay at DS9. I would go down to the shipyard area, go to the guy who sells the hangar pets. I would buy the regular hangar pets at EC cost, which were like anywhere between at the time, 5,000 and 7,000. I was buying Orion slaver ships 
in stacks of 30 and then go and putting them on the exchange at 20 and 30,000 EC apiece. And they were selling. I don't know who needed that many Orion slaver ships, but they were selling. Well, I've got, I'm going to decide whether or not I'll get any, because as I said, I'd already spent money on getting the Phoenix boxes because I wanted to make sure I had enough tokens to get red matter capacitors for all of my characters so i've now got enough tokens for there and all the rest i created upgrade tokens because i do want to work on more builds with different energy types rather than just the anti-proton beams that i've got sort of as epic so um i've now got i think it's about 300 of those phoenix upgrade tokens now Hey, they're re- they're really good for when you're trying to do reputation gear. So, um, so I have yeah. some set aside, and I'm waiting for an upgrade weekend because I'm patient. Yeah, that's why I haven't. Well, one, first of all, I need to decide what ship I'm going to do because I've still got the Lucari ship to actually unbox yet. Because um, um, first of all, I had to actually get another couple of ship slots, um, so I did get those as well. Um, but yeah, I just haven't had the time to do anything with it, so it's still in its box at the moment in my inventory. I'm so currently I was thinking of uh, kitting that one out nicely and yeah. Um, yeah, have a play. I am currently going through the process of acquiring the Iconian Reputation Antiproton weapon and console, and that comes to you at Mark 12. Cool. I bought off the exchange at 1 million EC, which is pretty cheap, a Mark 10 or 11 of the Herald Antiprotons. And I'm sitting there looking at it going, yeah, I really want to upgrade you now, but upgrade weekend. Upgrade weekend. Because it's a Herald Antiproton weapon. Oh yeah, those are still amazingly good. Those not only did the anti not only are the anti proton weapons they are anti proton weapons that when they crit they add energy damage. Well, we've just had Lucchesi in our chat say that um, the films Z films is actually um, doing a stream at the moment for the new ships. So um, we'll include the link to in to that video in our show notes when we publish. So, but yeah, looks like some good ships. And to be honest, now we've been talking about some, I might actually be getting some R&D boxes. No! (laughs) Don't fall into the whale hole again, Midnight! No! You can't help it. So, this week we have had two patches. So, Thursday's patch... um, it resolved some graphics-related crashes that were happening. The most um, interesting thing from this patch notes is the second bulletin point under general. Um, you can talk about that one. So, you know how a fistful of Gorn and a new warfare offer unique duty officers? Like, law? Yeah. 
Yeah, now they have made those missions so that once you complete those missions again, they will either offer those unique duty officers, if you don't have them, or they will offer, uh, they will offer a, another duty officer of up to very rare quality, depending on your level, uh, at, during completion. So essentially, these are now duty officer making missions if you're level 60. And that's actually mm. really good. Yes. yes. That's cool. That is no more, no more having player. to grind the duty officer assignment chains for duty officers. It's nice that they're doing it, um, doing this a different way, and we might see more of these if a lot of people play them. Um, but yeah, I think it's nice because getting those very rare quality doffs can be quite difficult to find the right ones without spending a huge amount of money on the um, the exchange a lot of the time. Now, granted, you, you still have to do the particulars of the duty officer assignment chain if you want to get the the flight deck officers, whether it's Cation for the Federation or Farasin for the KDF. Because as far as I'm aware, that's still the only dependable way to get the very rare flight deck officers like that. So, um, so yeah, they also resolved a number of issues where players could end up outside the playable area of Unto the Breach. But that didn't quite work on Thursday. So much <laughs> so that... Um, they ended up having to get rid of the queue on Thursday. Oh, that Thursday. was fun. That was funny. So, thing is, I, I hadn't gone into the forums. I thought, right, need to get something else done, um, podcast stuff done. So I thought, oh, right, run the breach qu right quick. quickly run the breach, logged in. Why isn't it in the queue? Okay, press J, saw the banner, clicked the banner, told to queue, nothing happens. Click the queue, nothing happens. Click the queue, nothing happens. What? Did I miss it? Am I? Am I? Have I, have I like, slept for years? <laughs> so, my default mode when something like that happens is hit the forums, <laughs> and I've got um, a list on Twitter for Stone Devs. So it's just like, okay, check the feed for anything listed in the forums. So, and yeah, I found something. It's been disabled. Um, basically, their fix didn't fix it. It made it worse, and. Um, yeah, lots of people were having issues, so they got rid of the queue, and they said, and we'll do another patch tomorrow to do another fix. So it's just like, damn it! <laughs> the, yeah, one the, of the one... bugs that I heard was coming out of this was, if you were right next to the door mechanism you have to blow up to get into the fortress, when it blows up, it can actually render you stuck in the debris, and you're stuck there. <laughs> and that's it. There, so, there, there were actually three different ones, uh, just collecting ones that I've heard. There are three different ones. So there's that one that you said, Temper. There were those that were at the door. Like if they, if the the the, the little thing uh, pops up to say spawn at the door, you know, go to the go to the collection site to to blow up the the little entryway. They would spawn, and then wouldn't be able to move past that. So that's two. The third one is spawning into the mission and not being able to move. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll get to today's patch. But yeah, it's just annoying because 
especially Fridays for me is I get home from work and usually it's straight away I'm doing prep for the podcast because even though especially being in the UK I by the time I get home from work about seven in the evening it still has six I've still got six hours but yeah that's still not usually enough time so it's just like yesterday when it says it'll be back tomorrow just like yeah but tomorrow I'm busy what a today. <laughs> it's just uh, nice that they extended it by a day to compensate yeah. for that. That was a nice well, Of thing. course, they extended it a day, which of course is up to a Friday. So I still won't be able to make use of the extra day. It's just like, damn it. <laughs> That's not helping me. <laughs> hey, they tried midnight. They tried I know. <laughs> I know. But it's just one of those things. So it's just like, don't. So, yeah, the one time I'd actually got, I think I thought, okay, I've got two hours that I can actually play Stowe. And I thought, okay, go in. And, yeah, by the time I found that out and everything else, then, then I realized I'd got to do something else. So didn't end up playing anyway, but it's just like, oh. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> but never mind. Anyway, back to the patch notes. Um, on the... Nashsolf, have I said yes. that right? Yes. So the Klingon science vessel, they can now use the upgrade material. On systems, the Aegis set bonuses, they've resolved an issue where the two-piece bonus set um, was it? Energy, energy negation. negation. Yeah, no, I just missed energy. It's just like, huh? <laughs> um, energy negation never propped. And they resolved an issue where the three-piece active power energy feedback conductor did not appear in the power list. They broke the Aegeus set, but then they fixed it. They resolved issues where the protomatter field projector was affecting things beyond the passive shield and hull runner regeneration. And they resolved an issue that could make it impossible to search for kits with the K-Perf modifier. Um, I was I, wholly worried that the protomatter field projector thing was them taking a nerf bet to its healing ability, but playing uh, Gateway to Grethor with the Lakari ship and the protomatter field projector, it's still healing the Klingon ships through the radiation. Damage. Oh yeah, so I'm saying it's still healing the um, starbase in Zenkethi Front. <laughs> now the K perf modifier. What does K perf actually stand kit for? Performance. Kit performance. Kit performance. It's a boosting uh, kit performance as far as damage. It's damage output or how well it works. Essentially, you. if you're if you're an engineer and you're putting down a a uh, a turret of any kind, like a, a weapon turret, that weapon turret does more damage. If you're putting down a medical turret or a shield generator, that shield generator is healing more shields. And that uh, medical turret is healing more of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I just couldn't remember. And plus, whenever we say things like that, I always like to say what it is for anyone who's, of course, new to the show and new to the game. No problem. Um, they did list known issues that the final mission that grants rewards in the Lakari reputation can get into a state where the player cannot claim the rewards. That's all to do with when a player closes the initial contact window, 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 with Mace window, 
<laughs> yeah, with Kamaki, and the mission becomes unavailable. So basically, don't close the contact window. I want to again. <laughs> don't close the contact window when it appears, and complete the mission as soon as it's available. Somebody's got Star Wars on the brain. <laughs> so then, thank you for the information, Timberwolf. Gravity Glance is boosted by exotic particle generators. One of my uh, bug hunter friends, he does have the Enterprise J right now, and he threw on a common rarity level um, particle generator that he crafted, and it did boost the damage output of the Gravity Glance. So if you're running a heavy part gen exotic build on this new ship, Ow! you can boost the Gravitic Glance. And then it's also being boosted by its own little um, power charges. So, yeah. So the Romulan science console and then the Krillin science console, the, t- the both of those that boost uh, particle generators. <laughs> then yeah. any other unique consoles that boost particle generators. Ow! Yeah. Figure I get that tidbit out there while we're still doing yeah. this. Now... For the Friday patch notes, they of course resolved the issue where players could not fly into the Voth city ship after breaching it in the breach. And that's when they said that they'd extend the event by a single day, and it will now end on the 24th of March. So, um, so yeah, they uh, said extended that by one day. And one day only. Then known issues were exactly the same. Now we had a new roleplay blog. Now unfortunately I've not had a chance to read this yet. Um, so I'll, I will do that later on. But what did you guys think of the new blog? I liked it. It was an interesting story. It's a good way of showing that the Zenkathy do have a a more dynamic uh, community as far as thoughts and ideas than just their one-track mind. Some of them are more about the peace. About peace. Some of them are willing to just follow orders blatantly. But yeah, it's they're more not than, all soldiers on the warpath. Yeah, they actually. actually they can honestly have more of a dynamic community than just oh, we're on the the path of war, so everybody's on the path of war, and they're just soldiers. Um. So it was interesting to see, um, and then just as a at a story writing level, they're once again we're talking about the crystals. They're trying to they're doing this only because of the crystals on the planet, which is something we've been uh, speculating about since this first started, and that the uh, some of these crews are actually starting to get to the point. Look, we could work with them and just get rid of the crystals and leave them alone. We don't have to commit genocide. So it, you know, there's an interesting dynamic here where even the some of the Zenkethi are just going, "Look, we're tired of wiping out entire civilizations when we're just after the crystals. Let's just blow up the crystals." Now the blog is titled "A Divided Duty." Son, what did you think? Uh, I have issues, but then again, I've always had issues. Very First true. issue is this is a nice piece of thing the gamers will never see ever. Because, one, they still haven't found a way to put this into the game. 
so it's still all over the front page. Two, there's no freaking catalog of these things anywhere. If you actually want to read the old blogs, you have to hunt them down on the freaking forums to find links to them. It is annoying as hell. I have to agree with Sun on that one. They're putting a lot of work into these blogs and tying the sto- all these stories together. If we can't see them in-game manifested in a way where we can play them, it would be nice if there was, I don't know, blog playlist or, you know, whatever, where on a single click you could have everything from the Zinkethi story for all those blogs in a row. Just like with the agency yesterday, have all of those blogs in a row that you could read them just at, you know, a, a main click and then you've got all the tabs for all the ones there just so people could go back and read them. Because a lot of work is done to write these. A lot of time and efforts put into them. It would be nice if it was easier for the players to find them. Because like Sun said, a lot of time... Well, there's a lot of time and effort put into them. You know, if you want the players to actually take the time to read them, even if it's they didn't read them at first, they're reading them now. The whole thing is right now, okay, well, I've got to hunt through a year's worth of blogs, or I've got to go through the forums. And some people do hunt just for these. One thing they could even do as something very simple is, of course, any roleplay blog is to actually add a tag to the blog post itself, which is roleplay blog. So that way, at least if you clicked on the tag link, you can actually get everything that is classed with that um, type of tag. Absolutely. Just something where it can make it easier for these stories to be found. Like I said, yeah, it's not something we see in game. It's probably never something we're going to see manifested in the game. But they are good reading, and it would be nice to be able to at least find them a little bit easier. Well, hopefully Ambassador Kale will... uh, um hear this and maybe start adding some tags to the roleplay blogs because yes yes, yes it would and be- no alex i i have only pre-read your feedback in the form that i was copying into our show notes i haven't really read your feedback i have personally had to go through the forums to find old rp blogs and it was just mind-numbingly insane having to flip through five and six pages of oh hey trendy's gone that sucks here's the rp blog that trendy posted here's a link to that rp blog the page still exists but it's not on the front page of the anything anymore and there's no link to it from the front page of the website it's stupid to the extreme okay well that's it for the pc news so let's head over to console news star trek online console news at the moment the anniversary event and the featured episode rewards for of signs and portents is still currently ongoing and they will finish on the 16th of March. So you're on the final week for those. And of course the Temporal Agent event is still continuing and that will go until April 4th. So our main bit of console news. The console is broken. 
End of news. Pretty much. Pretty. pretty. I was. I was going to say like, damn, console broke, but Sun beat me to it. <laughs> well, did you want to explain what exactly isn't working, so people know? Um, for from what I've seen, there's two big things that are really, really irritating console players right now. And since I'm trying to do some coverage of PS4 with our buddy Geese on the show. One of the big things is the temporal transponder for Agents of Yesterday tunes. Now, this launched four weeks ago, about a month ago, for Agents of Yesterday. The temporal transponder that we on PC are used to, it tracked all your achievements and all your rewards that you could collect for completing these Agents of Yesterday achievements. It's still broken. All you can do is when you hit X in PlayStation 4, Basically, when you click on it, it just says more details. You still cannot access it. And we're going into week four, almost week five of Agents of Yesterday without being able to track it. Now, they're saying that it's still keeping track of what we're doing and we can claim all the rewards once it becomes working. But we haven't seen any anything even, in, I think, in the known issues recently because it's just been known for so long. It's still broken. The other thing, and this isn't in known issues, because I've had the patch notes sent to me, turn rates on starships have been broken since at least Agents of Yesterday, from what I'm getting from um, other players on PS4 that play it every day. They're saying that escorts are turning at the same rate that you would see a Tholian Tarantula or a Herald Vomp. They're turning like bricks. And going on my personal testing, I'm seeing cruisers barely turn at all. So turn rates have just been busted on starships, making it a lot harder to maneuver for combat purposes. Or if you're in a mission that is big on maneuverability, the big one that comes to mind is Delta Flight, where you have to actually aim for those little circle pathways so that you can gain your timer so you don't get caught by the heralds. Turning in that particular mission is a nightmare, based on these new, these the broken turn rates. Um, so that's the two top things that I know of for console that players are screaming to get fixed. Um, in the forums, on Facebook, on Twitter, in their bathroom, on Reddit, in the streets, yeah. Super happy fun time rage. <laughs> pretty pretty much and. I'm really hoping they're working on it. I know they're doing, they're trying to, you know, they're, they're working on PC, but I'm really hoping that they can hammer these things out um, because it is, for some of the newer players on console, it's ruining their experience where they're not, they're, you know, you're not retaining. You're gaining players and then you're losing them. There's no retention. Um, so, Slow boat oh, online. <laughs> it, it's one of those things. It's, I'm hoping that it's being worked on currently. There's, then I'm hoping there's a fix soon. Um, because I don't think console players are as patient as PC players because we're used to it on PC. And yeah, it's been out on console since last summer, but console players are not used to this level of patching for most of the games that are out there. They might nope. see two patches for the entire game's lifespan, and then that's it. And they don't affect gameplay too much, whereas this one is a patch every week. We're used to it on PC, but they're not. 
So I'm just hoping that gets fixed soon for them. The only other game that I'm currently aware of on console that sees this much patching is, um, oh god, I haven't played it in so long and refused to play it, I've forgotten the name of it. Oh god. Damn, the Space Ninja game. <laughs> well, that's Teenage what Mutant it is. Ninja Tales? No, 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 it's literally <laughs> a Space Ninja game. God, I have forgotten the name of it. Well, it tells you how good of a game it is if you've forgotten no, I've I abandoned it because of its end-user license agreement and some of the crappy stuff that was in there and went, yeah, no, I'm not playing this game anymore, even though I've spent more money in it than I have Star Trek Online. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, let me tell you, that game, that game wanted me to spend money, but the moment I took a, a look, a, a really hard look at, like, their their agreements, I went, yeah, I have to walk away from this. But yeah, no, that's like the only other one, and it's it's also an MMO. Yeah, and that's so. that's what I'm saying. Like just with with console players in general, they're used to okay, there might be one patch that comes out within a week or two of the game launch. You have your season pass for a lot of them now, where you've got downloadable content, and then there might be one or two additional patches for the rest of its lifespan, and then that's it. So. Most console players are not used to. There's a patch every week, and then sometimes when things are patched, they get worse before they get better. Um, eventually, as they get used to seeing PC videos and they get used to the community, yes, they'll get used to it. It'll be a normal thing, but for the early goings of console, there is less retention of players because of it, because they're not used to it, and they're going, oh, God. It's still mm-hmm. broken. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh God! It's still broken. It, it's just this it's is one of those things. Destiny I'm hoping is, this is why Destiny no longer has a player base. <laughs> yeah, it, it's why it's why I'm hoping that they are working on it actively, and there is a fix in the near future um, for our PlayStation Four and Xbox One players. I don't want Thank them to get a bad. You. I don't want them to get a bad taste in their mouth of this game, even though. We've all had that experience where the game's been broken beyond belief. But they need to be able to hopefully wait it out a little bit longer, enjoy the game when it's not nearly as broken, and not be scared off. Kind of deal. Exactly. And thank you to Gone Astray. That's the name of it. It's Warframe. Warframe? That's, that's, yeah, that's the Space Ninja game MMO that I was playing. I've heard of that, but I've never think wanted of, to try think it. Of, think, of, think of Space Barbie, like what you can do with your, um, uh, you know, with, with your ship in Stowe. Yeah. And not only apply it to the ship that you get and the ships that you can make in Warframe, but also to yourself and your character as well, just like in Stowe. Oh, jeez. Space Barbie. Yeah. And most of those, and most of those are purchasable cosmetics. Yeah, vast majority of them are purchasable cosmetics, but they are so good that you kind of just want to reach out and buy one. So yeah, I wound up spending more money in that game than I have ever spent in Star Trek Online. And then I read all the details and went, "Yeah, I kind of have to walk away from this game." Okay. Uh, There's the uh, third bug too. The, the third issue. Oh, okay. And the third issue was, I and I only saw it within the past two days because of the Star Trek Online Facebook post that was posted by Kale 
about the promotion and a slew of console users came in essentially bitching about the promotion itself because the thing was broken before the promotion and only got fixed because of the promotion. So essentially there's a promotion that's supposed to be going on right now where, well, it was going on. It's over now where the old duty officer packs were on a special sale and then going away. But the packs were only, only available for like a week or so when they were supposed to be available the entire time. And then with a sale right before leaving on the night. Yeah, you were telling me about this before we came live tonight. Right. So essentially, the packs were there for a short time. Then the packs disappeared from the sea store entirely with no warning, no information about why they left. And somebody, I don't know because I don't have links to anything, but somebody official saying it's an issue and we're working on it. And it only, and <laughs> that bug only comes back in time for them to go, hey, buy it before we take it away because it's on sale. That doesn't look good. Um, I'm sorry, but that, that, that little bit of marketing doesn't look good. So, linking your ARC account for fun and profit. If people were actually on the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 link to their an ARC account, um, they will get the Khan uniform as a reward. So what you need to do is... Um, they say the process is fast and simple. The first time you reach the Star Trek Online splash screen, a window will pop up and ask you if you'd like to link your ARC account to your Xbox One Live account or your PSN account. So all you do is basically accept it and follow the instructions on screen by the sounds of things. Um, once you've registered and signed in, um, you select the option to link your account um, you've then finished and you'll be able to claim the Khan uniform from the appearance tab in the C-Store. Uh, yeah, this is because this is where I have those issues with the PC version and not the console version. Because I'm pretty sure when the console version does this, it's going to stick, right? Like it's that 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 account will always be linked through their ARC registration server. Always. So when they hop characters, that con outfit will always be there. But if you happen to log in, say, when the promotion was originally there on PC and logged into a character during that promotion for the PC and you got those uh, you got those outfits for those characters that you may have had because you had to log in individually on each character to claim the con outfit and then disconnected it, and then later reconnected to the art client when you had new characters and logged into those characters, those characters, those new characters don't have access to the con outfit, even logging in through ARC. So that's kind of shitty. So, but yeah, I never had any issues linking mine, um, and I was one of the early takers when they did it originally, um, rather than waiting until it became sort of ARC-only as the sort of client rather than them actually having the independent one. So hopefully people won't have issues when they sign up. And of course the link will be in our show notes if you'd like to read through what they've got. 
As we mentioned, it's the final week for rewards for Echoes of Light and for the Temporal Agent weekly rewards. When it comes to Echoes of Light, this week's reward is the Norsican Energy Lance. And you, of course, still get the extra choice of either Enhanced Universal Tech Upgrade or a Captain Specialization Point. For the agent, Temporal Agent weekly rewards, um, last week you unlocked the second tier of rewards, so that's unlocking a week of 50% bonus to research experience. So week 4 is March 7th to March 14th. So Temporal Agent task is earn fleet credits, and the server-wide bonus is energy credits. It says during the fourth week, earning fleet credits will provide progress for the server-wide bonus. Also during this week, all characters will earn bonus R&D experience based on your progression and earned in week three. And the final promotion is regarding the Krenum ship, um, or the Krenum time ship promotion. So at the moment, console users up until April 14th, We'll have a limited time um, in order to get an additional bonus when opening a Delta Alliance duty officer pack. There's a bit like what we've been talking about with the new pack, just with stuff that PC got a couple of years ago. So, um, so yeah, if you would like to do more um, when it comes to consoles and you'd like to get a ship like that, then yep. Duty Officer Packs are your friends. Okay, well, that is it now for Star Trek Online, I believe. So, now it's time to talk about Star Trek Timelines. Does no one here understand your incredible good fortune? Star Trek Timelines. Did someone say game? You seem to find this all very amusing. This week, the faction event is Alpha and Omega. That is running from the 9th to the 13th. It allows squadrons and crew sharing. The event crew includes an Agent Janeway. So this is a new character, which is 5-star legendary. And Marquis Rolaren, which is a 4-star super rare character. There's also Hypocrite's Noah. Which is a, a Hippocrates Noah. There Thank is, you sorry. very much. Um, I love that of of all the DS9 episodes. That's my favorite. <laughs> and that's a four star super rare version of Cisco. So, um, so yeah, the event factions are Section Thirty One, the Marquis, and the Terran Empire. Now, the threshold rewards that will be given out. It's promoted Cisco, which is an existing two-star character, and Marquis Rolaren, which is the four-star, which is new, as I stated. Um, the ranked rewards that you get in order. So you have Rifle Janeway, which is an existing three-star. Janeway. And just for fun, Hypocrite's Noah. And <laughs> uh, um, so yeah. And then Agent Janeway, which is the new five-star. So, um, they also pushed out a change to the gauntlet this week. So based on the feedback they've been receiving from players, um, as well as fixing some bugs, 
they've increased the probability of the featured skill appearing in a contest. So players should now see the featured skill in gauntlets at a much higher rate. Merit amounts that were rewarded by the currency boxes has also been increased. It was giving out between 10 and 30 merits. It's now been increased to give out between 30 and 100. They've removed the uncommon training programs from the gauntlet rewards. And they fixed an issue where the gauntlet match could end up with a tie and that it favoured the defender. They also fixed an issue with the gauntlet timers, so that way the gauntlet matches what now so, so gauntlet matches should now no longer end early than they should, which is a problem I said had happened to me a couple of weeks ago. So I've had a match that sort of started and within hours it was finished again, or um the timer in some cases I'd actually had where it said it had finished and it still got time on the timer and I couldn't play it. So, um, yeah. Although I haven't had that issue for a little while now. But um, it looks like some people obviously were. But fingers crossed that's now fixed. So, now, have you two actually had any chance to play timelines at all recently? Let's let's be honest. I don't ever seem to want to open up timelines until we get to it on Friday because I just simply forget that it exists. <laughs> For me, usually Friday is the only day that I don't tend to play it much because of the podcast. <laughs> Every other day, uh, um, I'll open it up and play. So, but um, yeah, now I've got back into actually trying to do some more reading on my phone again. Um, I haven't played as much during my lunch hour, but what I'll tend to do is I'll go down for lunch, I'll open the game up. Um, there's usually a lunchtime um, little bonus thing you can collect for getting some bonus chronoton. So I'll usually pick those up. Then I'll run to get the... Um, if I watch a video, I can get an extra 10. Then I'll do the scan. And then what I've been doing is I've just been closing it down. And then when I get home in the evening, that's when I run all the extra um, scans. Because then there's two more bonus chronoton things in the evening. One's between 6 and 8, and the other's between 9 and 11. So, um, yeah, I'll fire off um, loads of other stuff there. So I'll claim all the free chronoton boosts and um, all the other little daily reward things that you can get um although i've stopped with them upgrading anybody at the moment because i completely ran out of training manuals even though i had huge amounts of them um trying to actually vault a lot of the one stars that i'd got um basically just drained any training manuals that i'd got it got to the point where each day i was trying to run missions and actually use the chronotons that I'd still got left from um, some of the previous events after I'd built them up um, to actually run missions just to try and get some extra training manuals. And um, But I have actually finally done it. I've actually got all my one stars now vaulted. So, um, so yeah. Um, it cleared up some space, which has already been used. And, of course, now I've got... Um, a four-star marquee 
Rolaren and um, yeah, she's waiting on the time down to be dismissed because um, I've got to try and get 3,000 lithium again to get another five slots. <sighs> it seems like they're pushing out more uh, characters than they're creating slots for. Well, I mean, that's, you know, that, oh, I mean, maybe that just seems like me, but that kind of seems like what they're doing. Well, it's always been the thing that we've complained. It's it's always been yeah. So yeah, it's been a thing that we've complained about many times before on the show when it comes to Star Trek timelines. That I know. I'm just looking off. I know, but. Even if it was just as we've mentioned before, you actually get the five-star legendary character, then you get an extra slot. Even if it was that you had to level them up to, say, level 40 or level 30 first to unlock a free slot for that character. Or you had to actually get them to three out of five stars or something. Even that would help, even though it'd be a lot more difficult if it was to do with fusing the characters, because getting them becomes so hard. Even a two, getting two of them can be difficult. So even if they did right, you actually get fuse one of the um, legendaries to a two star. You then get that character, um, basically gets a free character slot. Um, that would still be somewhat helpful. Um, although I still think they could do more. Question. Does it take... Uh, what What level is it for you to unlock the little icon for those duty officers? Or for uh, those little... Those little... You know, those people. I can't remember. Cause, cause I, I, can't remember I want to say 20. 40. I want to say 20. Because it should be that level. It should be the... Oh, you you've unlocked the character icon for this. This is a rare character. Here's a slot for it. Also, does anybody know if you maintain the little icons if you vault the characters? Or if the icons get deleted, like, when you dismiss them? I believe they disappear, I've heard someone say. Although, That's I must admit, I have not looked. Because usually when I get rid of a character, I've not usually had them up. Um, I've just checked the Disruptor Beam forums and someone else was asking that and back in january last year someone said that they believe it's level 20 um so i'm just scanning through the rest of the posts um to see if anyone else says anything different so i mean because like the biggest hurdle for any new character in timeline in timelines is getting them over the tin hump um, okay, someone else did post that um, if you get to VIP level 4, it's level 30. Then if you get to VIP level 6, it's level 20. If it's VIP 8, then it's level 10. And at VIP 10, you can use any cruise portraits they own. So basically, the more money you spend, then the easier it is to own the portraits. So that's probably why I thought it was less, because I think I'm up to level 11 on the VIP scale. And I'm at level 0 on the VIP scale, so it takes me to, what, 30, 40? 
unlock those icons with a single character. And then the moment that character goes into a thing, bye-bye icon, which is stupid. You spent the time to even get that character up and then had to sacrifice it for a new character. You should be able to keep the icon. Yeah, so whether or not that is the case, I didn't have anyone in the that forum thread that disputed it. So, um, Lucas yeah. does say that you can keep you keep the icons if you follow them. So, oh yeah, because technically you still own that character, and they're just basically in a vault. Yeah, you've basically you've archived them, but if you dismiss them, you no longer own that character. So you then lose that profile image. Um, from what I believe, from what I've spoken to other people, and they've said that they've noticed. But again, I never got a character up to a level and then dismissed them um, and actually remembered to check in the odd occasion that I had done that. It's still disgusting that my highest level character is literally a freaking common medical Isridax. Well, some of them can still actually be very useful when it comes to some of the daily events where you actually need the greys, the greens, and the blues. So, oh, no, I'm not, dis- I'm, not, I'm not disputing that. It's just the fact that it has been easier to level that character above more useful characters because I can't get stuff to level up those characters. Well, yeah, the... The higher the ranking of the characters, the more stars you require for the items as well. So, I think at this point, I only just now got that 70s Dr. McCoy to uh, the advance of level 20. And that was because for the... For like two or three days of me actually logging into timelines, I used everything in my replicator to replicate the stuff that I needed just to advance him, which was stupid. Well, when it comes to um, the replicator rations, if you did want more, um, you do have, um, I forgot what they call the event, it's the button third one in on the right hand side. The, the, um, the little academy events, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, no. I, one, yeah, I'm trying to think through what... through those instantly. Yeah, because they are the lower end of rations. But um, what I've done is I have leveled up, because rather than completing all those missions, what I do is I've worked through the very first mission on all these events. So I get through all the, um, the different ratings, so that way I can do the epic levels. Um, so when it comes to challenges, that's the word that I was looking for. So for example, when it comes to, um, like today it's chronotons. So if I go to Epic, I can actually get from that 25 chronotons for completing the mission instead of when it comes to normal on the first one, I can only get 15 and that's the same for all of them. So what I do is I complete normal, all the stars on Elite as well, and then I basically get the characters that I need and level them up. So that way I can complete Epic, whether or not I get all the stars or not. 
because then if I complete have the crew ready, I can get extra rewards for just doing that first mission each time because when I do those missions, it's I'm actually wanting that one. So it'll be like, was it the train, the um, shuttle event um, boosts? You've got the chronotons, um, you've got the training manuals, um, you've got the replicator rations. So it means you get slightly higher and ratings on what you receive for them and slightly more as well so um what you can do is rather than trying to complete more missions where you could fail if you level up the characters that you've got that you need to do those you could get extra chronotons and things which will be more useful to you see i don't disagree with that my problem is i can't get into the advanced versions of the first mission because rng rolls and then i then i then i timer lock out for hey you can't do this for another such and such minutes yeah oh and by the way you can only do this so many times a day yeah but uh, say for example like the chronoton ones if you do work on the characters that you need for that first mission to go through normal elite and then to epic and you can actually then complete epic successfully then that means that all you've got to do is you do 10 and then i'm not no 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 no, that's not my problem that's not my problem my problem is the rng rolls for the little assignments for the, the little bits that have the special rewards during the mission the RNG roll. Oh, you got a critical success. Here's a thing, but not the rare reward because the roll didn't give you the reward. Yeah, but that's my problem. I have I run several of those missions constantly, and I still am stuck on the normal queue for the the, the normal version for those. Because I still can't get one, even if I have a character that has such a high level, like uh, like like medic for something, just she blows through the roll because she has such a high medic rating, and yet it goes critical success. Here's a normal item, except the rare one. You, you can't you can't get the rare one because we have some arbitrary number that you have to roll before you can get the rare one. So here's a regular item from the mission. Yeah. That's my problem. I know. But as I was trying to say that because in order to, of course, do those, you need the chronotons, then, of course, doing that stuff on the challenges helps because it gets you some extra chronotons and things like that to run during the week. And as I said, if you... There are three times during the day that you can also try and log in, even if it's just to quickly claim those things and watch the free video to get some more. So during the day, just by logging in at the correct time at lunchtime and twice during the evening, you can pick up 60 chronotons. Then you can usually get one to three bonuses for watching the video, which is an extra 30 and then on the two days that you have, or is it three days now? No, it's two days, I think, that you can actually do the challenges for Chronotons. If you can get it to play to the epic level and you've got the characters to just complete it, even if you don't get all the stars, then that's then 25 Chronotons you're getting six times on each day. So that's then an extra 125. So that way 
you can build up the extra chronotons to at least then try and get the items that you need. You min-maxer, you. <laughs> no, it's See, just... you started talking math, and I just kind of tuned out. <laughs> so it, it's just, all I did was I figured out when you can actually get the free stuff. Um, so I've just tried to, as much as possible, think, right, lunchtime, I log into the game, I claim the free stuff, and then when does I get... Hear, does anybody else hear the smile on his face? You can hear I the do. smile on his face. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, then I get home. And I again get changed, load up the game, claim the free stuff, fire off a couple of things. A couple of hours later, I go back in. I then finish off doing all the other bits before closing the game. And that's what I do as an absolute minimum. So if I'm not going to try doing any missions or anything else, and I, and I just do that. And um, it sort of takes about five, ten minutes um three times a day but it means that later on when it comes to some of the events and or when it comes to me actually wanting to upgrade some of my characters i then have the rations the um training manuals and things like that and then what i try and do is before i go to bed or something i'll fire off a load of shuttles because you can get training manuals from doing those um so yeah it all sort of can build up and um, allows you to do things because it's like a couple of times before I said I haven't really been playing the game because literally all I've done is I've signed in run these little bits and I'd sort of gathered I think it was about 7,000 um, credits at one point crontons at one point um, I'd got about 3 or 4 million of the credits and I'd got about 10,000 of the merits <laughs> um, but there have been times in the last few weeks especially that i've been playing and leveling up the characters so i wiped out the several hundred training manuals that i'd got i'd basically run out of all the chronotons um i'd basically gone down to about a thousand merits because i used those up during um the times i was trying to get some nice positions on the gauntlets and so now i'm back to doing what i was doing before is building all of that up so then when i decide that i do want to play it properly then i have resources i can use it for so so uh, yeah it, as i said it's just the way that i tend to play uh most of it is just running it's a bit like with star trek online you do your dailies which is you go fire off the duty officers and things like that basically that's my timelines version of doing my dailies except i have to do that three times a day to make the most of it rather than going in once a day with Star Trek Online to just fire everything off once and, and then head out sort of 15 minutes later sort of thing. Sounds like entirely too much work to me. Well, uh, it's not even something you have to think about. As I said, if you know the times that these things happen, then, as I said, when it comes to lunch break, well, I use my phone at lunch to check on stuff and everything else so it is just a matter of saying it's the matter it, it, the wait time is what'll kill you yeah well as i said because i'm loading is what kill you as i said I, I load the game up while i'm walking down the stairs to um our little place that we can eat in 
Um, so the game loads then. Then literally, as I'm getting my lunchbox out, I've gone in, pressed the button to get um, my dailies. And while I'm actually opening up stuff for my lunch, the free video is playing in the background. So again, it's I'm not using any of my time as such. It's just operating in the background. So as I said, I've made the timings of timelines work with the stuff that I do, if that makes sense. Is it bad that out of all of that, the only image I have now is you're going to the lunchroom with a 1990s plastic lunchbox that has Batman on it. You're sitting down and you're opening your lunchbox while you play this on your phone. Was I the only <laughs> one that got that image? Because that was kind of funny. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. I don't know. He seems to have this affinity for Ninja Turtles, so maybe it's a Ninja <gasps> it's Turtles. Ninja one, Turtles. Okay, and no. it's got a and it's got a secret Batman thermos inside of it because. Turtles with a half shell. <laughs> Turtle power! <laughs> I actually watched the second uh, Turtles movie um, last weekend. The the new ones or the 80s ones? The new ones. Okay. Uh, there's, I, I know there's, uh, there's a lot of hate for them, but I've actually found them I've just fun s- to I've watch. I've not seen the new ones, so I can't say one way or the yeah. other. But no, um, even when I was a kid, because I used to play... To, um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on the Super Nintendo, I think it was back then, um, or it might have been the uh, the NES. I can't remember which one. Actually, I think it might have been the NES. There was a Turtles version, um, the Turtle game. I probably think played about this. Think about this: the first Toy Story game, the first Toy Story game, video game, was on the Super NES. Let that yeah. sink in. Let that sink in. Video gaming has not existed that long at all. The SNES had the Toy Story game on it. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think now because it was so long ago. <laughs> I mean, I'm hell, with, that, with, SN- with SNES, you're only talking like maybe 93, 94. So just over 22 years ago, probably. Oh, it was actually the NES. It was the NES. So, I used to love that game. My brothers and I played it so much. But yeah, that came out in 1989. And um, yeah, I think I was playing it. um, So, the PAL version actually came out in 1990. So, yeah. It was quite a while ago now. (laughs) But yeah, my brothers and I used to play that huge amounts. Just like hours playing that game i think i played that more than anything else on the nes actually i got we got a game genie and you could have so even more fun with some of the codes that you could put in as well <laughs> so exploiter oh i remember the game genie game genie was the bomb <laughs> that was so you could have so much fun with some of the codes that you could get for some of the games yeah. anyway we've sort of like squirreled off Big time. <laughs> Whatever. That's what we do it's in every episode. Fault. It's not my fault. I was talking about timelines. You talked about a lunchbox, and then Timberwolf went on the lunchbox squirrel. Hey. <laughs> it happens. But no, you would think that I, being the geek that I am, I would have some sort of... Well, 
even Oracle Sybils actually said, um, a Star Trek tin lunchbox. Um, you would think that I would have something like that, but no, um, I've actually just got like he lives a in the UK. Tupperware. It's already impossible to find Star Trek anything in the UK, and you yeah. want him to have a lunchbox? <laughs> Except for BBC, they play Star Trek a lot, so no, not anymore. Oh, no, it's it's not like that. It used to be, um, but then Sky picked up lots of it. Literally, they show. Uh, they used to show several episodes during the day, um, and usually the same episode was played in the morning, afternoon, and evening. <laughs> uh, um, it's a little bit more spread out now, but especially with um, the new Sky Q stuff, you can um, you can sort of save more to the discs and everything else. But now the Netflix has actually got the entire TV series. Um, yeah. I've, I did my whole rewatch with that. So, but yeah, I'm not sure the next time that I'll actually do a rewatch of Star Trek, given that I've just finished doing all 726 episodes. <laughs> so I'm busy catching up on all the TV that I sort of put on hold for the last several months now. Uh, Alex, I've uh, got the chat room talking about uh, um, Megan Fox. So, yeah, Alex goes, I like the 80s cartoons. April's yellow jumpsuit was stupid in retrospect, but was awesome back then. And then when they cast Megan Fox to play April, yeah, I did not even watch the Transformers movie. Shrug. (laughs) It was weird that April was supposed to be, like, this reporter person, and she's in this yellow-ish 80s version of the Kill Bill jumpsuit. Like, (laughs) before Kill Bill. So, um... So, April yeah. O'Neil in yoga pants before yoga pants were yoga pants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, as I said, it, it was fun watching those movies, but uh, maybe we should uh, move on. <laughs> it's a Kappa kind of thing. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess now it's time to go to some Star Trek news. <laughs> Star Trek News. Saw a post on trekmovie.com. There is a new book that will be coming out later this year called The Autobiography of Picard. Now, they did another one called The Autobiography of Kirk. I think it was last year. So... They're now doing one for Jean-Luc Picard. The official description. The autobiography of Jean-Luc Picard is an in-world memoir chronicling the story of one of the most celebrated names in Starfleet history. His extraordinary life and career makes for dramatic reading. Court-martials, unrequited love, his capture and torture at the hands of the Cardassians, his assimilation with the Borg and countless other encounters as captain of the celebrated Starship Enterprise. So the book, The Autobiography of Jean-Luc Picard, will be released in hardcover this fall with a retail price of $24.99. So, um, yeah, it's, it seemed quite interesting. Um, I wasn't, to be honest, very interested in reading the one from Kirk, but I might get this one. 
of, of, of all the captains, I can wholly see Kirk writing an autobiography. I can kind of see Cisco doing it. Maybe Janeway. But Picard? No. I don't ever see Picard putting pen to paper and writing an autobiography. I wholly uh, imagine a whole bunch of other people writing biographies of him and including details like this. I do not expect to ever, in any sort of lore sense, imagine Picard sitting down and saying, this is the shit that I went through. Because Picard is way too closed about that stuff in the first place. Yeah, I mean, it took all that crap on Earth with his brother just to finally show some emotion about being assimilated and his experience there. I mean, it took some shit for him to finally admit that. I, I can agree with some. I don't see him writing a... I, I can't see him writing an autobiography, but I can see him sitting down and talking about his experiences and someone writing a biography based on that. I can see that one. I but can it's gonna be see where you're coming from. But as the series went on, especially right at the end, he does start opening up a little bit more as this, the last final series were. And like the final episode, he sort of goes to sit down to actually play cards with the rest of his senior staff. So he does start to open up more. And when it comes to the films as well, he, he sort of, you do see him opening up more. Um, even when but it that came shows to first... his trust in his crew, not everybody else. Yeah, that shows his it... trust in his crew. But as I was about to say, is you also get him opening up as well when it comes to first contact, and that was with a complete stranger. So he has got used to a lot more sort of opening up with people. And of course, then he would be sort of breaking in a new counsellor. So we never got to see that bit further, but I can actually see him as the years have gone on being more open to talk about this stuff as he's been able to talk about experiences and his talk personal about life. It, yes. Write about but, it himself. Eh. Yeah, that's but, what I'm saying. Like, I can see, I can see him talking about it and someone writing it, but him putting pen to paper himself and spending that kind of time. I would think he'd be more interested in continuing experiencing it and then notate it for someone else to write. Possibly, but the thing is, well, you know, he was the sort of person that you'd have to get, unless he was forced to, he wouldn't be taking shore leave. So I can see him being forced to take shore leave, going back to a place like Riser, being bored, and that, and that sort of someone suggests to him, look, why don't you actually write down your memoirs? So I can see where his character started to lead to right at the end and in the movies that further in the future that it could actually be something he would do. I, I, like I said, I just don't see it. Uh, you know, I personally just don't see it. I mean, you know, even in the even in the films, even in the films, the uh, you know, he was this closed figure yeah he was having a conversation with what's her face in first contact but that's also kind of because she was going she was going nuts on him and poking at the holes that were so deep in his psyche that he had no choice but to talk about them 
at the same time, he's come to trust his crew so much to just openly talk about them that he invites Deanna Troy to his captain's quarters, I don't remember which movie, to talk about the loss of his his brother and his brother's son, and now he's the only one in the family. I think this was Generations. So he's yeah. the only one left now. That he And he has never borne children because his brother was the one that was going to carry on the Picard line. And now that's been sucked away. And that conversation that goes on only goes on between him and Troy. He's never going to write that down in a book. Ever. Yeah, but the thing is... Now there is no one else for to continue his line, um, his line, um, to continue his family line. I well, can unless see him and Beverly get it on, yeah. and, you know, twenty fourth century medicine. Yeah, because the thing is, in the books, him and Beverly do eventually get together because he, at that point where he sort of opens up to um, Troy, he's starting to think about these things. He's the last in his family. So I can see him that if in the prime timeline that he didn't get with Beverly, that he has now started thinking, I have no one to tell about my experiences, that he would now write about them. Because it's not like he has his nephews or sons or daughters to pass on his knowledge his experience um things like that that you would do to with family he doesn't have that anymore so by writing an autobiography although at that time later on he may not have anything one biological to sort of like give his knowledge and that too, him writing his own autobiography would mean he can give that knowledge and experience out to other people who read it. Because as I said, when it comes to the later parts of the show and the movies, he has started opening up. He has started thinking about sort of succession in his family because as it stood as when we ended it all, he was the last one of his family. And I think because of things like that, he would actually write something. I don't know. Like, I I just, I, considering how the Federation exists with, with its novels and stuff, I don't see him putting out a book to the open populace. Writing his, writing his captain's memoirs, his admiral's memoirs for Starfleet specifically? Yeah, sure. I can see him doing that. Like, detailing his experiences with the Borg and all that kind of stuff. Totally, I can see that being done. Him just flinging himself out there for the entire Federation and beyond to read all of this stuff? Nah. I don't see it. Because at the point that he is at now, Starfleet has been his career his whole life. Even... Even with him now being the last of the Picards, Starfleet has still been his entire life. Even if he does get with Beverly and start a new family, Starfleet has always been his family. His, that, that's been his kids and his parents. That has been his life. So if he was going to leave anything, it would be for Starfleet, not for the general populace to just pick up a book. 
Well, we don't know who, until we read it, we don't read The thing is that the audience could have been people at Starfleet. Um, we, whatever reason he would choose to do it, but I still think it's something that he could and Look, would it's, decide it's holy, to do. It's wholly reasonable that this is Starfleet stuff. I mean, you remember, remember all the lines that every single one from Kirk to Kirk to, to Janeway, Oh, I remember that person. That person was required reading at Starfleet Academy. Mm. So it is entirely possible that this stuff is is Starfleet. I just but part it doesn't of come what... across as it being, you know, Starfleet. It comes across as being general public stuff. Well, not necessarily because it says that part of the official description. Um, he it talks about his extraordinary life and. Um, career because um, it talks about court martials unrequited love his capture and torture by the Cardassians, the Bork assimilation um, and other encounters as captain so now the a thing great is, majority of that stuff being wholly classified yeah, that's yes. that. That'd be where I would draw. Like, when did they, when would they declassify some of this? Because we're talking about things that probably at the time, besides his crew, a handful of people at Starfleet Command knew. Not not even other captains knew about this. So yeah. you'd be releasing a lot of classified or higher materials to the general populace with that. That's that's where I'm saying I could agree with Sun because it's a lot of stuff that, for the most part, his crew knew about. Yes, command knew about. Yes, but you're re- revealing all that to the general populace. You're revealing it to some, you know, 15 year old who's in middle in middle school, high school age, or a random Andorian that's visiting Teller, you know, whatever the case may be. While, while that, the Cardassians are there. still rebuilding their world after the Dominion War, suddenly here's all this information about Picard being captured and tortured by, yeah. by, by the Cardassians. Like, yeah, it's, but, it's plausible, <laughs> but it does open a, lot of wor- a whole bunch of can of worms because there could be a lot of stuff that not only was classified, could in a worn-torn future – Unless yeah, you Star Trek Online you, as an all, example. The thing is, you're assuming that he writes this stuff as soon as basically when we see the, the movie sort of thing. No, but he can I'm write thinking, this right now in 2409 in the Star Trek time, timeline where he's old and retired and it's long after the movies. We're talking yeah, about 30 years. Yeah, but then by that time, what was classified wouldn't be anymore. That all depends. There's still stuff classified from World War II, and here it is 70, 80 years later, and we still don't know it as a general public, where some of it is. So that's what I'm saying. Some of his stuff, he probably wouldn't even be able to write about even 60, 70 years later because it's, oh, nope, you can't write about that. We still have it classified. That's what I'm saying. I could agree with it being Starfleet-required reading because they need to know about it. But general public, sometimes things that are released, they're released within the military, within a certain community, but general populace will never know. And that, that's where I'm saying I can agree with Sun's distinction where everything – if he's writing an autobiography out of everything, Starfleet, yeah. 
you know, even your new recruits, your cadets, but general public using modern day 2016, there's stuff that happened during World War II that we still don't know about because they still have classified documents they won't release. Same with Korea and Vietnam. And if they haven't released those 60 years later, it's entirely plausible that there are some sections of Picard's life that Command wouldn't let him talk about. It just depends on a, how they're going to put that out there. Let me stick a really big pin in this. The one autobiography I'd like to see, and that we will never see, is Bashir. Mm-hmm. We will never see because, one, his augment status is classified. Two, <laughs> the interaction with Section 31 is so classified. classified, they won't even up or down acknowledge or deny its existence. And three, according to the books, he's part of Section 31, so he can't talk about his life anyway. Yeah. He does basically become a section section thirty one. What is it after takedown and um, our man Bashir and sabotage and he goes through a whole lot. He just becomes part of section thirty one. So you, he all he could say in his autobiography is, "I've had a life," and that I would had be a it. life as a frontier doctor. It was the best life ever. I cured this disease, that disease, this disease. End of story. Yeah, that's all he could say. Now, as far as the Captain Picard, I'm looking forward to it. I want to see what they're doing with it. I'm just saying, within that universe, within the Star Trek universe, if if he was releasing it, I see it more as Starfleet reading, and a lot less of it being purely public, just I from mean, that the, regard. This the same the same thing that we're discussing here would be like having the Cisco autobiography come out in a couple of years, and in the blurb that is that that, that talks about it is the mention of. What the happenings of in the pale moonlight? Oh yeah, exactly. Uh, that would never that would happen. Be classified for fucking ever. Well, technically, you don't even have a record of it because Romulan ambassador. Yeah, yeah. There's there, there's no record of that, so he wouldn't put that in because basically, um, he he would then be charged for manslaughter. Then again, he is kind of technically dead too, so. Well, if he came back to write his autobiography, then, uh, the, then yeah, because that's the thing. They say he even said at the very end he will be back. He just doesn't know when. Right. So, he was he he left to teach the prophets about yeah. about humanity, about mortality, about all of this stuff that they had forgotten being the prophets, and. It was his job to be their emissary, and he would come back, but he kind of had to die to get there. Yeah. Okay, well, that's what we have for Star Trek news. So it's now time to head over to the main viewer. Main viewer. Star Trek Discovery. David Mack has announced the title of the first book that he's writing. Um, we talked about well, a couple of months ago, a few months ago now, um, that he was going to be writing some novels based on that part of the timeline. And he has actually said that the first title of the first book is Desperate Hours. And it is coming in January 2018. 
So it will be the first official novel based on the Star Trek Discovery series. So he hasn't given out any other information, just the title and the release date. Um, you are also able to pre-order it, and I have done so already. Um, we have also got some information that two more cast members have been added to Star Trek Discovery. So the latest additions to the cast are Jason Isaacs and Mary Wiseman. So Jason Isaacs, um, he will be playing Captain Lorca um, of the USS Discovery. So he's a British actor that has been um, in Event Horizon, The Patriot, several of the Harry Potter films, and Rosemary's Baby miniseries, which um, also included Zoe Saldana. Um, his current and upcoming projects include the OA, London Fields, and Hotel Mumbai. Then Mary Wiseman, um, she'll be beaming aboard as Tilly. She is a Starfleet Academy cadet. In her final she's year, she's Kim. No. Um. Well, no. Technically, she's more of a Wesley, because um, as in an academy cadet, because they're not yet an ensign. So she's it, like Nog. No. <laughs> yeah, more like Nog or Wesley, um, in the later years. Um. So yeah, um, she's assigned to the USS Discovery. Well, yeah. well, she's no, she's more like Nog than she is Wesley. Wesley never came back to the ship until he had graduated from the academy. Well, he he was an acting ensign waiting to be a cadet. Right. Um, well, no, he was he was an acting ensign anticipating entry to the academy. He never came back from the academy as a cadet. Nog did. Yeah. So, look um, at us! Look at us fiddling over semantics. Yeah, like we're trekkers or something, huh? <laughs> well, <laughs> you've only just got <laughs> people know that we took one story about a book on a make-believe autobiography and went on for about that for twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did do that. Uh, about whether or not that would actually be released in a fictional world so <laughs> oh you trekkies uh, but, uh, but yeah um, as I say she's been assigned as a cadet uh, um, to the discovery so, oh no this means she's going to get her leg broken just so, like yeah, Nog it'll be interesting to see how they deal with someone um, who isn't an officer um compared to what we saw when we had Nog and, of course, Wesley. So, um, basically, she's among recent Juilliard graduates, and TV credits include Difficult People, Longmere, and Baskets. Her stage credits include The Octoroon, Therese Raquin, which was her Broadway debut, and The Skin of Our Teeth. And she's currently running at theatre for a new audience in Brooklyn, New York. So I must admit, I don't recognise the name. Um, but it, um, it looks like she's only done a, a small amount. But, um, but yeah, um, Jason Isaacs, I have seen on TV and that before. So he's a good actor. So, um, so yeah, 
it'll be interesting to see how these people interact when it comes to the rest of the crews. But um, yeah, there was a lot of talk about who would actually play the captain of the Discovery. So um, now we know. So uh, you have a picture. You have a you have a GIF in the show notes of this introduction thing. Is that <laughs> the new badge logo for Discovery? Yes, that was in the. Um, production trailer that they released they showed this yeah i don't remember seeing that recently (laughs) all right yeah that was the new logo they introduced um during the most recent production trailer what they did is the other one sorry (laughs) i like the silver the the other broken part of the badge being silver but Um, that's just me i did like that version but i must admit i do like this version it had there's a lot of people who have bitched about both of them to be honest and i i don't really see the problem in either of those designs i just um, want my klingon to cells with safety cages over the three bulb bussard <laughs> collectors please 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 give me this so um, i'm sorry i'm still still wholly stuck on that teaser trailer of the ship i love the nacelles of that ship you guys like People can, people can dog that entry trailer, that teaser trailer, all they want to for the way the ship looks. Those nacelles are sexy as hell. The only way those cells, those nacelles could be sexier is if they had like little safety cages around the Bassard collectors. That's the only thing. <laughs> but um, yeah, we're slowly getting closer to launch, so it's going to be hopefully within the next six months so they're obviously in production and i'm sure on the pilot episode they might even be in post-production for some of it so you never know we might start seeing some little clippets for ships for some of the crew in uniform and some other things going on um it depends how much they sort of want to give away um, in some ways, it's good that they've been quiet, but in other ways, it's bad because, yeah, there's just so much speculation. But, uh, yeah, as always, time will tell. So, so uh, do, do, is there anything else, or, or are we going on to grind my gears? Um, didn't realize we had grind um, well, gears. But... Well, it's probably... It's probably it's probably a mix somewhere between grinds gears and holodeck. Okay, well, first of all, we've got convention news that we'll just oh, we do go okay, through. Okay, that'll that'll work. Convention news. FCD in the UK, we've talked about um, a couple of times over the last few weeks. So last week we mentioned that they were doing a competition. Um, Basically, you donate £5 um, to their PayPal account and you get a raffle ticket. And if they sold a certain amount, they were going to give away some of the top tier prizes. 
um, sorry, top tier tickets, um, which were the packages that you get. So they've actually said that they, at the time, now this was yesterday afternoon, that they were just 10 raffle tickets away from giving away all three of the top tier prizes. So they said they would do that if they sold 100 or more. So um, what they're doing is they are upping the ante and now they're actually going to give away an extra Phoenix Phoenix Pass Pass um, if they sell 125 tickets before March 14th. So, uh, so yeah, all you've got to do is to send £5 um, to payments at fcdevents.com via PayPal. So... So, yeah, chance to get nice packages, which includes um, the Friday night buffet um, meal with the guests as well. Um, It also includes front row seating um, and a load of other stuff. It also includes photos, which each of the cast as well, if I recall correctly. So, um, yeah, quite nice prizes, and yeah, it's only £5 to enter. And of course, as with all this, um, all this is to help raise money for multiple charities. Because um, FCD, as we went through with... Um, um, uh, brain's gone. Um, we spoke to them in an interview probably five weeks ago, I think it was. And... Um, we sort of went through all the different charities that um, they help raise money for. And, of course, they've also added on one for the Saturday night party that they're doing to raise money um, for Mind, I think it was, um, in remembrance for Carrie Fisher. So, um, so, yeah, you've got a few days left. So good luck if you enter. Um, and, of course... Last note on FCD front is that you only have until March 14th to actually buy any of the top tier passes. So if you want some of the bundles, so the Phoenix, the Phoenix Plus and the Jeff passes, then you've only got to the 14th to do that. Um, So they need a couple of weeks to get things organized because they need numbers for like the buffets and like the Sunday night gathering and stuff like that. Um, just noticed in chat, Alex has put a question. Um, I always forgot to ask during the show, but Midnight keeps calling them Will and Ross, but wasn't it like Will first name and Ross last name and David something? Um, Honestly, yes. I don't know. I'm terrible with names. So I just go with what Midnight says, even though he says... Trek on to Goa, so. <laughs> yeah, everybody knows I screw up names all the time. I haven't actually been too bad recently, but yes, it is Will Ross and David Lindbergh. So, um, I hadn't actually realised that I had said Will and Ross. So, if I had, I apologise. Just call him David Cheese. <laughs> well, that works, doesn't it? David Lindbergh, Cheese, David Cheese. So, um, but yeah, as I mentioned, you've only got a few days left as of broadcasting today. Now, I haven't noticed any other news from STLV. 
and PAX East is this weekend because um, we had mentioned before that um, Star Trek timelines have got their disruptor con. So, anyone attended? Let us know what you thought. Okay, well, that's convention news. So, shall we head over to Holodeck? Because um, may as well go through all that stuff and you can do your little wherever grind your gears about the Holodeck news there. Okay, sounds good to me. Holodeck. Axanar have been busy sending out emails and posts regarding what's actually going on. Surprising no one. They blame everybody but themselves. <laughs> so, first of all, there is a letter from Axanar Productions' Alec Peters, um, March 8th. Um, says, Dear friends, fans, and donors, we've been hard at work this past month putting together a plan for Axanar Productions' future following the resolution of our lawsuit with CBS Studios and Paramount Pictures. There is still a lot of work to do, but our team agrees that now is the time to start sharing our new vision of the future with you. Over the past month, the Axanar team has gotten together and built out a plan for what the future holds for Axanar. The film that we have spent over three years working on. Axanar Productions, the production company that we work under, and our soundstage, which we call Industry Studios, we have also been putting together our financials and asked a group of entertainment professionals to review those financials. We are proud to be able to present the financials showing you the use of donor funds and the committee's findings to you in this document. So you can download and view the entire report by clicking this link. Our team is dedicated to bringing our project to life in the best, most enjoyable way possible and bringing more great science fiction, fantasy, and horror genre productions to life. We have a great plan, and hope you, our loyal fans, will join us on this journey. So, of course, there is a seven-page PDF, which starts talking about the future of Axanar, and how they're... Basically, it's not just the two 15-minute films they're planning to do. Um, they're planning to do an audio drama of the full script, a complete illustrated script with production art, storyboards, and graphics, written fiction to fill the gaps in this amazing story. So um, they go on to talk about the future of fan films at Axnar Productions. So they plan to completely comply with the guidelines set forth by CBS despite them actually filing for copyright on something they don't own the copyright to not too long ago, but we'll move on from that. Uh, but they say, but we've set our sights even higher than that. Oh yeah, because that wasn't the original problem in the first place. Mm -hmm. Moving goalposts. Hmm. So, fam... Goes on to say, fan projects produced by Axanar Productions will be made under the banner of the Federation Historical Society, and, Bullshit. Will, Bullshit. and will be an entirely volunteer effort. We 
We also planned on getting more fans involved in the creative process in a way that will truly engage people in celebrating their affection for Star Trek on other fan favorite franchises down the road. So they then move on to saying building the first fan funded movie studio, although I'm actually sure I have heard of other previous ones which were done by fan funds. Oh, beforehand. you mean like um, Starbase Studios or whatever, where, wherever, wherever continues is currently working out of? Because it's not like they don't use the funds that they got from their Kickstarter to build those sets. So, hmm. But they hmm. say, building on our experiences to date, advice from our friends in the industry and encouraging encouragement of fans and backers, Axonar Productions will be expanding its mission from just making Axonar feature films into becoming a non-profit film production studio, making our own projects and assisting other independent fan and student filmmakers in bringing their projects to the screen. It is our desire to provide low-cost production services to other fan makers like us, helping them get their production, their projects off the ground and into the hands of consumers looking for fresh, high-quality entertainment in the sci-fi, horror, and fantasy genres. Axner Productions will operate as a non-profit and is working on filing its 501c3 paperwork so it will be a tax-exempt charitable organization as well. Then, if you're going to do that, uh, get that status first, and then ask for money. Yeah, but Don't then ask they... for money now. Ask for it after you've achieved your charitable organization status, Mr. Peters. The thing is, they've been working on filing this thing for ages. And the thing is, they had somebody do all their, um, their accounts ages ago because of the stuff that had to be submitted to the court. So I'm not quite sure why it's taken so long, to be honest, um, when they would have had someone sort out everything anyway. Well, according um, to Mike Bodwin, it's a back and forth between somebody who's filing on behalf of XNR Productions and whoever is running the charitable organization extension of the California bureaucracy between a piece of paper that's supposed to be filed that Exodar hasn't received. But I don't know if I even believe that in the first place, because it sounds like runaround and not a straight up answer. But they move on to say, we feel our focus on providing low cost services to a broad artistic community is noble and a worthy cause. Well, uh, yeah, just wait but, and... but a, a children's hospital where everybody is serviced, uh, serviced, and then they sacrifice all the babies. Still sounds like a noble cause, but they're still sacrificing the babies. I don't think they'll go that far. Anyway, they say, and just wait until we start announcing some of our planned activities and partnerships to support that mission. I think you'll be impressed. The future of industry studios. Thanks to the support of our donors, we now have an awesome soundstage facility called Industry Studios. Originally planned to be used for the production of the Axonar feature film, Industry Studios is now attracting the interest of commercial independent filmmakers. Our plan is to use the revenue generated by renting our facility to help subsidize the cost of making that same facility available to independent fan and student producers. To help that mission, we'll be launching a crowdfunding campaign on Wednesday, March 8th, to raise funds to cover the hard costs of the soundstage rent, insurance, utilities, and storage. 
It's about fifteen to eighteen thousand pounds a month. The more we raise, the less we'll have to rely on commercial rents to help us advance our mission. Stay tuned for your invitation to support industry studios and help Axna Productions truly realize its vision of the future. Then it goes into Axna Productions financials. So now that the lawsuit is behind us, we're preparing to make way with a new mission for Axna Productions. It's important we take a moment to thank you for your continued support and give you a glimpse of everything we've been able to do with your trust and your donations. I'm sorry, I just, like, I could tear this thing to shreds almost line for line. I mean, I did partially in our Facebook group. But the biggest thing is the the donor write-up, the, the, the financials report. Okay, cool. Uh, although this is a nice bit of math, it doesn't cover the fact that you, Mr. Peters, have already wholly admitted... You only gave these, quote-unquote, credited entertainment financial people what you wanted them to see, not everything. You've already admitted that. That you gave them what they needed, not everything. And what they needed, only you gave. I mean, we still have court documents (laughs) that your own lawyer didn't redact properly saying, oh, hey, by the way, I personally took a salary from the studio. That, that's not in here in any shape or fashion. It's not even listed as a subset of a thing. It's joined to another one of these issues that's on these financials. So, uh, yeah, there's something fishy about the numbers right out of the gate. The second thing that's fishy is, uh, well, let's be honest. The guy who is introducing us in, like, the top page of this financial sheet literally says he's a friend of Robert Meyer Burnett. That kind of leans towards bias. The second guy, the Yoon, whoever, whatever his name is, Yoon, is an admitted $10,000 Axonar donator. That doesn't make them independent or unbiased in the situation. That makes them quite biased in the situation. So I kind of can't trust this in the first place. Third, yeah, you are trying to, quote-unquote, achieve 501c3 charitable organization status. I highly doubt that paperwork is in to begin with. Because if it was in to begin with, (laughs) the government would not accept these three people because none (laughs) none of them are accredited auditors, like, you know, financial auditors. It just says that they've been in entertainment finance. It has. It says nothing about them being auditors. And uh, the government is probably going to come in with their own auditors and look at your books and then make those books publicly available. So, um, yeah, I, 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 have, I have issues with the whole letter. I have issues with the financials. I, I kind of have issues with you. I mean, you you might have started off with the best of intentions, but like I said a couple of weeks ago, even Hitler tried to deport all the Jews before he came to a final solution, you know? So um, the best – hell is paved with the best of intentions, right? I mean, you kept moving the goalpost. Things 
started happening because you kept moving the goalposts. So people naturally started asking questions. You didn't have the answers, and you couldn't answer those answers. You couldn't answer what questions people got to the satisfaction of those people because you didn't want to show people your books. It makes you look like a bigger prick than you actually are, that you may actually be. But the more you continue to roll down this hill of I'm going to be a closed thing and not deal with the people who are all haters, you're just you're just kind of you're 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 not shooting yourself in the foot, you're shooting yourself in the foot, the crotch, the face, everywhere. Pretty soon the only place left is going to be your own wallet. So I mean that that kind of seems like the stage we're at now. Well, to be fair. Alec Peters is a lot of things, but again, comparing him to Hitler, still I think is a bit too far. So, it's no, called he, Godwin's he, he, Law, okay? But anyway, I'll continue with the memo. Attached you'll find a financial disclosure that breaks down how donor dollars were spent to get us this far. Donor funds provided nearly 85% of the money we needed to deliver prelude to, prelude to Axanar. Build out of the industry studio soundstage and bringing us within weeks of shooting the first 30 to 40 percent of the Axanar feature film. Well, despite the fact that they'd actually posted to Indiegogo and Kickstarter or whatever that they had all the money to do the first bit originally, anyway, but never mind, we'll skip that bit. <laughs> The lawsuit with CBS and Paramount set us back by nearly a year and cost us dearly both in cash and opportunity. But thanks to your support and engagement, we have preserved, we've preserved and now proceeding with Axanar as a transmedia project that will include two 15-minute fan films, as well as other productions that will help us tell the entire story of Garth, Khan, and the Battle of Axanar in new and exciting way. Also attached to this letter is our Independent Financial Review Committee, a group of Axanar production donors like you who have experience in the film production and entertainment business, who were tasked with the responsibility of reviewing every single expense for the past three years to make sure they were appropriate to business expenses. Their evaluation, as detailed in the letter, is that our financials for retrofitting the industry studio space, shooting prelude and the Vulcan scene, pre-producing Axanar, fulfilling our donor obligations and promoting our productions are all within acceptable margins for the industry. Please note that while total expenses in the past three years totaled nearly 1.7 million, donations covered 1.4 million. The difference was covered personally by me and through other funding sources who provided their support and have requested, and in one case required, anonymity as a condition of that support. It should be noted that no donor money went to myself in either salary or expense reimbursement, Legitimate business expenses like insurance, meals, travel, auto reimbursement and salary were all paid for by myself and the others who donated their support and made up almost 300000 in additional expenses covered beyond what the donors paid for. Except that that's a lie. Because the unredacted documents you filed in court say you took a fucking salary and reimbursements from the studio. From that money. I think it's because he paid it back that he now says that technically he didn't collect a wage. 
it doesn't matter. He still pulled it from he still pulled it from that source. I mean, hell, the entire (laughs) this whole this whole I paid it back. So we're all good. Right. Is a bullshit on top of bullshit. Because do you remember when that was first revealed? Remember when that was first revealed in those court documents? What was Peter's line? That's just standard operating procedure for a producer of any production, period. That's normal. That's It's not like I paid myself millions and billions of dollars, right? That was his argument at that time. Now it's a, oh, I, I, I paid it back, so we're all good now. No. There are people who have a longer memory than you do, apparently. And remember that you said that this was okay because this was normal for anybody. Well, yeah, I, I guess so, if you considered the business for profit. But if you considered the business for profit, <laughs> you play right into the trap that CBS is suing you for in the first place. You built a for-profit venture off their IP. Well, <laughs> now now he's paid it back, so we're all good, right? So we're all good. I, I, I just read Alex's uh, comment in chat. Um, when you drown someone and they manage to successfully re- resuscitate them, all's fine, right? <laughs> anyway, back to the rest of this document. I'm grateful for their support, as I am for yours, and I think you'll agree with them that it's time to focus on the future and move on. Thanks again for your continued support and encouragement, Alec Peters. At this point, we can move on, but nobody will take an eye off of you. Ever again, Mr. Peters, there will always be an eye on you and the stuff that goes on around you. Because you've already stuck your hand so far down in the cookie jar that it took the jaws of life, a.k.a. a lawsuit, to yank you out of it. And when I say the jaws of life, that's the term we give to uh, a machine that is able to cut open vehicles when people are trapped in those vehicles and those vehicles are in danger of exploding. So that's that's what I mean by that for anybody who's not here in the U.S. and doesn't know what that means. So the next part of the document attached was Independent Financial Review Committee, Kevin Rubio, acting chairperson. To whom it may concern, this letter is to acknowledge that between the periods of December 10th, 2016 and January 10th, 2017, I, Kevin Rubio, was asked and did accept to serve as part of a three-person independent financial review board consisting of myself, Cedric Yao, David I, I, I Bailey. Say, I want to say that Cedric Yu, but it, might it may be. be Yao. For the purpose of reviewing the financial statements of Axe and our productions. A donor fund an independent film project for the calendar years 2014, 2015, and 2016. In the interest of full disclosure, while I have no direct involvement in the production, I am a close personal friend of the film's attached director, Robert Meyer Burnett, and have donated a sum total of $25 and zero cents to the proposed but yet uncompleted Axonar film project. I was also a guest and observer on the set of the summer of 2015 for what is known as the Vulcan scene. In addition, it should be noted that the committee member Cedric Yu, um, or Yao, um, is a major financial backer of the Axonar Independent Film Project and that David Bing Bailey has worked as Axonar's digital ingest technician and colorist on both Preluded to Axonar and the Vulcan scene. 
besides being a director and editor in his own right, having produced two feature films. Axanar Productions provided each member of the Financial Review Committee a series of documents that included one, a top secret, a top sheet, sorry, <laughs> sorry, um, reading without my glasses, um, a top sheet um, of donor money in and out of the production from 2014 to 2016, two, a line item budget from 2014 to 2016, Three, a top sheet budget detailing a construction from 2014 to 2016. Four, a top sheet budget detailing studio build outs from 2014 to 2016. And five, a confidential NDA non-disclosure agreement which I signed. After independent and committee review, we the undersigned, given our professional combined experience of over 40 years in the fields of finance, producing media across multiple platforms and physical production, can and do attest to the numbers presented to us by Axonar Productions, actually reflect within an acceptable margin the cost of what would it would take to 1. lease and retrofit a building to make viable soundstage, 2. mount production, pre-production and one day of shooting up to the point at which production of the Axonar production was halted. Three, donor fulfillment cost as of 2016, including items and postage. Four, promotions. And then it's signed Kevin Rubio, Cedric Yu and David Bailey. And then it's got the Axonar financial disclosure. So basically it says money raised from donors, income for prelude, um, for Axonar Productions crowdfunding campaigns, online productions as a supplement donation, which totals $1,432,519. Use of donor raised funds, as in expenses. You've got donor relations, so perk fulfillment and related costs, bank credit card processing fees, computers, office and marketing supplies, legal expenses not related to lawsuits. Then you've got soundstage related expenses, so that's 24 months of facility rental. So that's the location and storage at industry studios. Facilities overheads, utilities insurance and maintenance, and soundstage studio build out. And then production specific expenses, you've got prelude to Axonar production costs, Axonar set construction costs, and Axonar pre-production costs which is production design music visual effects props and costume all that totaled one million four hundred thirty two thousand five hundred and ninety dollars which strangely equals a hundred percent of what came in from donors which with all budgets that i've ever seen i've never seen anything match a hundred percent I'm actually in the process of looking up what a top sheet is, for those who may not know. So uh, it says here, and, and I'll post a link to this in our show notes, the top sheet provides a snapshot of your overall estimated production budget, broken down into four distinct levels, which contain financial information on all the accounts necessary for the execution of your project. Top sheets are effectively universal in their content and absolutely expected it's in your best interest to both have one and understand what goes on in them. And there's a couple of levels to the top sheet. So there's A, B, C, and D in, in a top sheet budget. 
A, above the line. The above the line level encompasses your executive and creative staff. These are your director, your producers, writers, principal actors. The above the line level will also contain development expenditures such as acquisition rights. Below the line, B. Below the line includes the bulk of your production, encompassing departmental crews, labor, equipment, materials, location, vehicles, and all the extraneous costs that go along with them. C. Post-production. Editors, data management, processing, lab fees, and color correction, editing suites, Foley work, sound mixing, scores, and visual effects. The post-production budget covers everything you need to assemble the finished project. D. Other. This is where you allocate funds for the coverage of fringe and unanticipated expenses. Why do we have three and four top sheets when a single top sheet is supposed to cover all of this stuff? Well, not just that, that if it's supposed to be an independent review, which is supposed to actually be a proper budget, then why are only top sheets being used? If they're supposed to be going through and having a look at everything. Why are we seeing why are we seeing estimated amounts of money, not actual amounts used? Yeah. And it's again, as you said, they're not exactly independent because they're friend actually friend of friend of the director. They're friends, I, they're donors. That's not independent. Well, no, they're they're all donors. That's the thing. They are all donors. But Peter said that himself. These independent reviewers are all donors to Axenar. So yeah, not independent. So basically, it's just a financial review committee. So, um, but yeah, it's just why. Um, but yeah, then the last part of the financial disclosure that they've got is additional operational soundstage and production expenses. So that is. Additional facilities, rent and business operations expenses, including cost of funds, additional soundstage related expenses, additional pre-production costs associated with Axonar feature, which totaled $263,544. So once again, another spreadsheet with no real information. No, no, no. The biggest information is like the last paragraph before Kevin Rubio goes into the actual financials. Yeah, it is. After the independent committee, after the independent committee review, we, the undersigned, given our professional combined experience of over 40 years in the fields of finance, producing media across multiple platforms, and physical production. Sorry, none of that is, none of the mention there says the word we're looking for specifically auditing sure you can have experience in finance but are you do you have a combined experience of 40 years as auditing uh, auditors because that sure as hell isn't said in this at all no you're just friends of friends and donors who came together because somebody asked you and said here here's 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 my top sheet stuff see if this matches all of this stuff actually being missing well yeah, of course the hell it does. This is your estimated budget, and this is the money that you got to work with on your estimated budget. Of course it's going to be 100 fucking percent. So, yeah, at the end of the day, to me, it's just another spreadsheet. There's no real proof. It wasn't done by actual independent 
auditors. So the thing is, only when they can actually get the 503C where someone has properly gone through their books will I ever trust anything that's come out of the financials. But again, he's created so many companies with offshoots and everything else, as we found when it came to the lawsuit, that whether or not the financials that get used or checked will be anything related to the production properly or one of his other businesses. Who knows? And of course, Alex brings up uh, the most amazing portion to come out of all of this this is the fact that Alec Peters has said that the sound stage that they're working on isn't soundproof, and nor are they going to do that because it's expensive. Of course, that tweet is a screenshot because the question and the replies did actually get removed by the Axnar people themselves. Oh yeah, no, because they asked the person that they asked the person who asked the question from their group. Because that's how XNR operates. Yep. Oh, look! Somebody asked a question. Whoever that person is is peddling fake news. Of Sorry, the... I had to make that comparison. Of course, the links will, of course, be in our show notes. So, there was also a production and project update as well. So it says, as the XNR team ramps up pre-production again on XNR, we want to make sure everyone is filled in on what happens on a regular basis. XNR prides itself with communicating with its donors more than any other crowdfunding campaign. But we also don't want to overwhelm your email inbox. So our policy is to make lots of information available in a variety of ways. You can pick and choose what you want. So here are how to follow our progress. One, the XNR website. That's axanarproductions.com. This is the best way to get information on what is happening on Axanar. On Axanar. It includes Diana's donor fulfillment blog to keep you informed on where we are delivering your perks and my captain's log, which lets you know what is happening on almost a daily basis. Wait, 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 wait. Did you almost say Axamonitor? <laughs> no, I nearly said Axamar. <laughs> it was just an <laughs> M instead of an N. Um, well, was, they have left an Axamar on Star Trek as a whole. Uh, just too busy trying not to cough because uh, throat's getting It's okay. Sore. It's okay. I have to stop yeah. making you laugh anyway or it'll get worse. Indeed. So, number two, the Facebook Axanar fan group. So that's at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Axanar fans group. If you are on Facebook, then the Axanar fan group is the place to hang out and chat with other Axanar fans. You know, it's actually surprisingly impressive that the Axanar fan group has become the new Club Penguin. And and I say this because, club. okay, for those who don't know, Club Penguin is like this child's game that's now in the process of closing down. But while it was up, the big thing about Club Penguin is that people would... Sp- join the game Club Penguin specifically to be banned for saying bad things in Club Penguin. And then they would post screenshots of such. It seems like this group is becoming the new Club Penguin to Star Trek fans, period. 
even people who have never heard of Axanar because just of the sheer amount of dicking around that Alec P- Alec Peters has done that people now know about because of the lawsuit. So yeah, that I mean, it seems like it's going to be the new Club Penguin. We're going there just to see if we can get banned. Three, the Axanar podcast, trek.fm forward slash Axanar hyphen home. Want to hear Alec and Rob talk about Axanar and what is coming? Every two weeks or so, we try and release a new podcast, each one with interviews with Axanar team members. Number four, the Axanar donor newsletter. Every two weeks, we'll be sending out a donor newsletter with the highlights from the previous two weeks and anything you need to know. If you are a donor, you are automatically signed up. If you want to be added, just email Diana at support at axanarproductions.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at axanarfilm. There is a lot happening now and we're back at it. So please follow us and we will keep you all posted. I wonder, I wonder if John Van Sitters could actually email Diana and get posted to the Axanar donor newsletter. I mean, that seems like a prudent thing to do, especially since this is something they've blatantly said, hey, you can do. I mean, after all, that only seems like CBS naturally and legally following up on the whole, hey, you're following the guidelines, right? You can't be starting a new Kickstarter with the promise of Star Trek, right? Right? So, yeah, it seems wholly plausible that Vincitors would want to be part of the XNR Productions newsletter. But that's just me. Well, moving away from Axanar now, um, we have got. Thank God. <laughs> we have got the Indiegogo campaign for what we left behind, the Star Trek Deep Space Nine documentary. Now, there's, as we're live at the moment, only a few hours left. So, once this is published, it will all be over. But as it stands. They have raised six hundred and nineteen thousand two hundred and fifteen U.S. dollars by with only four hours left mm-hmm. by nine thousand and seventy six backers. It's over nine thousand. Sorry, had to throw that meme in there because mm-hmm. now, of course, as we mentioned before, their aim was to raise one hundred and forty eight thousand nine hundred and seventy eight. That was their minimum they were looking to raise in order to do what they wanted at a basic level. They had multiple stretch goals. The first one was 250,000. Second was 350,000. The third was 425,000. And the final one was 500,000. So um, they've actually been able to raise more than that by over 100. Well, nearly 20,000. Now, as we mentioned last week, that they had an interview on the official Star Trek podcast, Engage, on episode 40. So you can listen to that if you'd like to find out about what Adam Nimoy and Ira Stephen Bear had to say about it. So congratulations to everybody behind what we left behind. And we'll, of course, report on any news that comes out about that project as it comes along. Uh, I know this is official, but it's just, it's still, there are way too many questions I have to ask about this. And I just, uh, 
I mean, just the timing of everything when was is and is still weird. The fact that it kind of proves to CBS wholeheartedly that the words Star Trek and then having names associated with that still has people donating shitly stupid amounts of money for no reason than other than it's a Kickstarter for a thing that's Star Trek. Just, yeah. And then the biggest of them all is the fact that in their in their wheel of financing for the Kickstarter is licensing flat out. But the, you know that's 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 just me. That, it seems weird and stupid, but those feel like hugely important questions considering what we just went through for a year. Well, uh, as we've already discussed this. Is this is licensing for the extra things they want to do with it? Um, but yeah, there are details that were felt were missing, and um, yeah, I never got any extra response to any of the questions. Um, and yeah, sort of with all the interviews that were being requested um, for this sort of podcast and um, this project, that a little project, a little podcast like ours. Um, wasn't going to really get much in the way of a response. But I'm looking forward to it. Um, as I said the other week, I am actually a donor myself. So, um, yeah, looking forward to uh, seeing the final result when it's ready. So, okay, um, one final reminder for Holodeck before we move on is that the circuit Kickstarter... So that's Manu into Ramey's project. Um, that is due for release on March 14th. So um, next week we should hopefully have some more information about what is going on. So keep an eye out. Can, can I just point out for a moment that Alex has brought up something in chat that... Oh, God. I, <laughs> CBS has pulled the most Trump move ever with this thing. Because CBS said, we're not funding it, but you can go to Kickstarter and fund this documentary. And it's it's literally, a P, from a PR perspective, CBS going, we're going to make a documentary and the fans will pay for it. And it's like, that's... that. Did we not just have this in the United States with Trump talking about building a wall? <laughs> oh, God. This well, this this documentary, man. This is this is this is testing my this is testing my Trek fandom to the limit. Well, as I've said, CBS, if they wanted, their plan was to do a documentary. We know from just the description of things that they basically got most of it done and ready with prior funding. Now. If that was with a deal with CBS, they have got that bit sorted, but they wanted to do more, which is where the funding comes in. This is where the um, fundraising has come in. So, yeah, what they're asking from fans is to make it bigger and better than what they've already got. Which, again, harkens back to the Alec Peters thing. Help us make a thing. Now help us make it bigger and better. And bigger and better, and bigger and better, and bigger and better, and bigger and better. 
I mean, I have no doubts that Vincitters and all of these people will actually get the job done rather than Peter's dragging goalposts around. Yeah, but the difference is they have made it clear from the get-go, this is what we're doing, this is what will be done with this money, which they'll then do. Alec, yeah, on the other is... hand, no, hang on. Alec, on the other hand, got given the money to do a feature film. Then he went and changed what he was going to do. We're going to do some more fundraising because we now want to do this. And then he did it again and again. And then every time he went to do more, it's like, oh, well, later on, well, we didn't have all the money we wanted. We only actually got 30%. We wanted to have this amount. It's just like, well, that's not what you told us. This is completely different. The problem is, is there are a lot of fans, including yourself, which when it comes to fundraising for things like this, are basically paranoid about it because of what Alec Peters did with Exena. Well, yes and no. I think my biggest point of contention, my biggest point of contention about this whole thing in the first place, like the rest of it, I can wholly accept. The biggest point is the fact that that big little chunk of the wheelhouse of all this fundraising says licensing. Yes, but it's licensing itself, for the extra features that they're wanting to include. I, okay, that's not specifically said, because that itself, just that image, sets a dangerous precedent that a person can go to Kickstarter and Indiegogo and GoFundMe and say, hey, I'm doing a Star Trek thing. Here's part of the budget that I have set aside for in what I'm asking for to pay CBS for licensing. The thing is, it's not always to CBS that the licensing goes to. Depending on what it is, the licensing could be with other people that is not CBS, depending on what it is. I understand that, but the precedent being set here is that you can start a thing and do what the hell ever with anybody's IP so long as you have this visual representation that you're going to use a portion of the funds on actually acquiring the IP license to do whatever the hell you want to do, even if you don't do it, which crosses some weird legal territory when it comes to IP, because there is no precedent for that. Well, be honest. The way things are set up and what I've read, I personally don't have an issue with any of it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have actually donated myself. Um, but yeah, there are people who, yeah, they're a lot more weary about going further with donating. But still, as I said, personally, I don't have an issue with what they've specified they're doing. Okay, well that's Holodeck, so let's move on to the next segment. It's time for Science Lab. So, this section is for things in the real world of science news, which usually has some relation to Star Trek. Now, I saw an interesting news article on Sky News, which was about energy flashes in distant galaxies which could be proof of aliens. So this is from 
um, a group of people at Harvard University, um, a group of scientists, who say the flashes of energy detected in distant galaxies could be evidence of aliens powering interstellar spacecraft. So, in 2007, fast radio bursts, or FRBs, are intense radio pulses lasting up to a millisecond. Their origins remain unknown, and fewer than two dozen have been detected by the world's largest radio telescopes, but they appear to occur in remote, remote galaxies billions of light years away. Now, a team from Harvard have suggested that FRBs could be leaked energy from power tr powerful transmitters built in order to send giant light sail ships on interstellar voyages. A light sail uses a tiny amount of pressure exerted by light to produce a small but constant acceleration that allows a spacecraft to reach a great speed, as we saw in Deep Space Nine with Cisco and the Bajoran um, craft. Professor Avi Loeb from Harvard Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics said, Fast radio bursts are exceedingly bright given their short duration and origin at great distances and we haven't identified a possible natural source with any confidence. An artificial origin is worth contemplating and checking. So, basically what they're saying is they can't see why there is any natural way for this to happen, so they should start thinking that it may be... Unnatural. Yeah, I was going to say Which... man produced but it won't be man <laughs> yeah yeah so essentially because it's not a natural phenomenon this would mean that it is either something something that is natural that we do not yet understand or it is perhaps artificially created and if it's artificially created aliens but of course they are an exceedingly um long distance away from us so there is no way that we're going to find out, especially in our lifetimes. So, so, um, so yeah, I thought that was interesting. So, uh, there is some more on the article, um, and I'll include the link in our show notes if you would like to read more. So, done. Um, you've actually got something about time crystals. Yes, so... Um don't remember if we'd actually done this on the show before or not, but uh, this seems like something Stu would have brought up. Um, earlier this year, physicists had actually put together blueprints for how to make and measure time crystals, a bizarre state of matter with an atomic structure that repeats not just in space, but in time, allowing them to maintain a constant oscillation without energy. Now, what's interesting here is that because of the papers going back and forth, the scientific community at large has officially declared time crystals a fifth state of matter. Guys, we have a fifth state of matter. Solid, liquid, gas, plasma, time crystal. Does, does, that, does that not blow anybody's mind? No? Just me? It's definitely interesting, but... I don't know. It, 
So here, so here's a little bit more. Uh, two separate research teams managed to create what looked like an awful lot of time crystals back in January, and now both experiments have successfully passed peer review for the first time, putting the impossible phenomenon squarely in the realm of reality. Uh, a quote was uh, a quote from Andrew Potter from the Texas of Univer- uh, Texas University at Austin says we've taken these theoretical ideas that we've po- uh, we've been poking around for the last couple of years and actually built it in a laboratory. Hopefully, this is just the first example of these, with many more to come. So yeah, these 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 experiments have now passed the peer review stage of scientific terms. The Last, the last leg in the journey is actually getting it all published. Is guys, we're gonna have time crystals. Is isn't a time crystal still technically a solid? I don't know, but because it is a consistent form of matter throughout time, and things normally solids, liquids, gases change over time. Because considering it is a consistent thing throughout time, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Because mm. the thing I mean, is, can is you, can you have a can you have a subatomic particle that is a liquid? Well, a liquid is multiple atoms, isn't it? And well, same with solid, I suppose. But I don't know. It just seems that it's still a time crystal is still part of one of the other classifications we've already got. Just because you're you're applying the crystal to the state itself. You're applying crystalline to the state. And for the most part, crystalline, you think crystalline and you think diamond, emerald, ruby, you think of a solid structure. That could be a solid atomic structure, maybe, but it doesn't mean it has to be a solid object. Because water has a solid atomic structure, it's still a liquid. Well, the link will be in our show notes if you'd like to read the full article. Okay, well, that's it for Science Lab. Now it's time for In the Community. In the Community. (laughs) Dance party starts in half a minute. Get out on the dance floor. Friend of the show and fellow podcaster, Mav is still looking for help to move his stuff over to um, his new state um, to try and get back on his feet after his health problems. So if you are able to help, um, if you head over to gofundme.com forward slash Tom's hyphen moving hyphen fund. Um, any amount will be um, very helpful to him. So, um, yeah, that's it for this week in the community. So that was a short one. So he's only looking to get $500, and so far there's been $275 of donations. So, um, yeah, please help if you are able. Okay, I guess it's time to move into community feedback. Community feedback. Join with us. Share your thoughts. Resistance is futile. Oh, Sunseal, would you like to 
go through the community questions? Oh boy, would I! It's not like we have a novel to read today or anything, right? Right, okay. So community question one for last week was, do you think we'll get the old-style breach queue back after the event, or do you think we'll be keeping the new-style queue? Merwinian responded on the Star Trek Timelines Discord server and said, I haven't been playing long enough to be familiar with the old version. Fair enough, there are quite a few new people to Star Trek Online. It's nice to have you. Chozo Elder responded from the Stove Forum and said, I'm one of the rare few that didn't mind the old queue. The problem was taking the problem was taking that queue and turning it into an event. It was usually an average of 20 minutes to run for me. So it was a real drag trying to do it on multiple characters. Back when it was a regular queue, almost nobody wanted to play it because everyone prefers doing the Voth battle zone if they want to build on Dyson Rep. It was one of those queues that you'd never see anyone playing because people receive much more rewards doing other things in the same amount of time it takes to finish the breach. Shortening and tuning it into an event was a good idea. The thing you'd see many players have issues with was that it was too long, so based on the feedback, and I honestly didn't think Cryptic would do a 180 and keep the old version as a standard queue after this event is over, I would like to see its return, but I realize I'm the 1%. Here's, here's, here, here's a hint, Chazo Elder, you're not the 1%. So Zombie actually posted on our forums because he's been away and busy with stuff, so he's not been able to be here. So Zombie posted and replied, I, I hate the breach as it is now. It is trivial in difficulty and content. I like the old breach. It took time, but it was also satisfying because of the time it took to complete. A real sense of accomplishment. Now things are done before I've had time to get more than two shots in in most runs. For an event, fast is good, but it should also feel like it was a challenge. And this is not, nor has it so far felt like it. Oh boy. I looked at this and I said, I hope Dimber doesn't stay and because he's going to feel bad. <laughs> Alex responded on the forum. Well... Sun already explained how the Crystalline Entity was revamped, and you did not get the old version back. I have another example. When they reworked the STFs, Infected did not always have a space in the ground. It was just Infected. Same with, I'm blanking, Kittimer Accords? It was split into Kittimer Space... Uh, that was split into Kittimer Space and Ground. The old versions don't seem to exist anymore. So when the Breach event ends, you will get a regular The Breach queue. It's just going to be the new version of it. I mean, seriously, Timber, you make all these videos showcasing how everyone and their mother just face rolls through Infected Space Advanced. And you think Cryptic is going to give you a new queue that takes more than 5 or 10 minutes to complete? Actually, they might, but unless they rework the reward system, such a queue probably wouldn't see that much play because guess what? Players are notorious for seeking the biggest bang for their buck even if they don't pay a single cent. I should probably add that while I do agree, I am used to dungeons that take 20-ish minutes to complete, and at a somewhat leisurely pace. But I do remember dungeons, not raids, just regular dungeons, that could take 
hours to complete because they were so expansive. It was daunting, and more often than not, people would only do specific parts of these dungeons. But I do admit that they had a certain epicness to them. Watching you showcase ISA is like, okay, it's basically the equivalent of the trash mobs in the first boss in pretty much any dungeon in any other MMO out there. And that is after every other MMO decided to make their dungeons more bite-sized. So, where's the rest of the dungeon? Yes, some events in WoW require you to go on a uh, to go to a dungeon and kill an event boss. But guess what? They put that option into their looking for group tool. So you queue up with an event uh, for an event boss, and when the group is ready, you get teleported to that boss. No need to kill any trash mobs unless they are meant to be part of the encounter, and the complete dungeon is available for play. But hey, I guess only Blizzard has the budget to offer such an intricate and overly complicated mechanism. Shrug. And let's not forget, Cryptic does not offer Stowe's awesome random queue. So how many queues see play on a regular basis? Then there's the cooldown timer, which brings up the question, could you even chain run one queue after another, or would it run out, or would you run out of playable queues? I mean... You could do that pretty much in every other MMO out there. Some people who play tanks or healers level exclusively by chain-running dungeons. But this is bordering on game design philosophy again. I, I, I try to get this email done. This, I'll try to get this email done this weekend. Game design can be such an interesting topic. <sighs> that was just the first question, people. Question two. How much of Star Trek TV and film have you watched for the 50th anniversary? Principia from the Star Trek Timelines Discord server said, Short answer, basically all the things that aren't Voyager or the next-gen films onward. Merwinian responded from the Star Trek Timelines Discord server, Not particular... I have no particular viewing plans. Chozo Ilder II responded from the forums and said, I started last summer because I was too impatient to wait until September. I started with one of the series I never saw, DS9. After I finished DS9, I moved on to other series I never touched before. Enterprise. I finished that too, and now I'm currently going through all of Toss since I never saw every episode of it. I'll eventually go through TNG and Voyager, because why not? I also f I finally watched Beyond on the anniversary itself. I 100% agree with Timberwolf, who in their right mind thought Suicide Squad had better makeup than Beyond. Get out of here with that noise. Go home, Academy Awards. You're drunk. You don't tell me what to do. You're, you're not the boss of me. I have this guy right here. He's called Oscar. He's my best friend. So, so, sorry. <laughs> just, just trying to inject little humor in there. So Zombie replied, I did not rewatch any uh, any Star Trek because of the 50th. I watched everything I watched everything but Toss when it first aired. Uh Toss I got in reruns before uh I'm not sure if I can read this properly. <laughs> Midnight help. Which bit you up to, sorry? I'm I'm under under Zombie's reply in question too. I've highlighted it. I don't know how to I don't know how to say that. Okay, so he says I did not rewatch any Star Trek because of the fiftieth. I watched everything but the original series when it first aired. 
the original series I did watch in reruns before I did the animated series. I have watched all of the original series in streams in the past five years or so. Thank you. I I didn't know what put in there. <laughs> Stuff was missing. <laughs> so yeah, he watched the original series before the animated series, and he's watched all of the original series in the past five years by streaming it. That makes sense. I'm just I'm I'm Zombie is currently flight fatigued, everyone, so he was writing this in an airport, surely exhausted. So you'll have to forgive him. And forgive me for not being able to read it. And forgive me for not paying attention, that's too busy doing timelines. <laughs> <laughs> you bad man. Dude. I was trying to save my throat because I'm trying not to cough at the moment. So I understand. And I thought, oh I'll I've got an idea of someone who I can vault so I could actually get my Marquis Rolaren. But yeah, I'll let you continue. Alex replied and said, I have not rewatched anything yet. I still plan to give Enterprise a try. Oh well, as long as I get it done till early fall, I'm within the 50th, right? Yes, this is true. So, community question three. How do you handle your Star Trek Timelines crew when you run out of character slots? Principia replied on the Timelines Discord server, I prefer to shove people up into the vault. Merwinian responded and said, Focusing on vaulting anyone who isn't absolutely essential. Last resort, dismissal of someone I was hoping to fuse. Zombie replied on the forum and said, I am out of slots now. I have, I have been for quite some time. Uh, I, and I look for... Wait, 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 wait. I've got to read stuff, periods. I am out of slots now, and have been for quite some time. I look at what I have, what I think I need, and just get rid of the ones I no longer want or don't think I will ever use. With no way to get any more slots, since I don't buy dilithium, Timelines has become a game I play when I'm bored and can't play on my computer. Fair enough. Ah, uh, now on to general feedback. Yay. Jozo Elder responded on the forums, uh, the Star Trek Online forums. The Arena of Sompek. I missed last week, but I want to quickly skim through this. I was one of those affected by the massive wait times in between rounds. It was bad. Really bad. We're talking like eight minutes of nothing happening after every round. By round four, everyone was tired of all the nothing that was going on and left the, uh, and let the mobs finish us once round five finally started. Terrible first impression. Then I ran it a second time, this time with two other fleet members. The fifth player in the team dropped out or disconnected near round 14, and we made it to round 45 and had a pretty fun time with it. My third time was a pug that felt like at least two members wanted everyone else to die early so they can get their daily reward and quickly get out. As someone who enjoys ground combat, it was definitely refreshing to see ground -based, a ground-based event like this. I would have preferred if it lasted at least another three days uh, to make it a one-week event. I hope it comes back, preferably without the wait time bug. I didn't know that that was an issue, actually. Was that an issue, Midnight? Sorry, which issue? Was, was there, like, the first day or so of the arena being out? Was there massive wait times between rounds for things uh, to spawn? We did discuss it on the show a couple of weeks ago. Um, 
think it was actually Stu Dog who'd actually said that if you've got lots of engineers, um, when they put down all their um, sort of turrets and everything else, the more turrets and things that went on tended to find that the longer the wait time was. So essentially, um, the, the arena was waiting for your turrets to die before spawning in the next round. Yeah, there, there's some sort of issue that was causing a delay more than the expected delay they'd put in the patch notes. Ooh. And people felt it was to do with um, those pets. That's that's disturbing. <laughs> I didn't know about that. But then again, like I played on the last day of the event anyway, so... Yeah. <laughs> 26th Century Dreadnoughts. Does, does anyone... And this is a link, so it will be posted in our show notes. Does anyone remember how huge the Enterprise J was in the Battle of Procyon 5 Q story episode? Yes. And the picture that is in your... The picture that is your link is actually the size of the ship in-game for people piloting it. I am not kidding. The link is actually a picture of the... Um, Federation Battlecruiser, the Avenger class. The Lakari ship is a little bit wider than the Avenger class. It's certainly not longer than the Avenger, but it's wider. And yeah, that the the J still just is hugely wider than the Lakari ship. All of those ships are, with the exception of the Klingon one, because the 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 temporal Bortescu is going to be longer than anything. I also recall one of the devs saying somewhere that the Enterprise J can't be playable because of how massive it is. Maybe I'm remembering wrong? Am I crazy? I'll just say that since I can't be bothered to go back and find the source. Either way, it's here. We're now so far down the rabbit hole of possible playable ships in Stowe, I've lost count of how many times I said to myself, we're never going to get uh, we're never getting sh- uh, X or Y ship. At this point, I wouldn't be surprised if they put out a kit bash mega bundle. Voth citadels, Borg ships, whatever. Sadly, the universe class and the rest are, are promo ships. So I'll probably never have one because, well, you know how high promo ships go for. At least the NX refit was low by. When no, they... It... Sorry, just to interject. Um, I do remember... Then once talking about the universe, I was class, going to say that the same bef- thing. Yeah. But that was before they had it in game. And it was mm-hmm. only when they went to put it in game for this new content that they realized how big it was. Because like I think everybody did when they saw it on screen and knew it was a city ship, they expected it to be bigger. But when they actually got the stats together for it, they actually realized it wasn't as big as they thought which was a comment that a couple of the devs had made when it came to talking about that content when it got launched. Right. Because it was only at that time for doing those missions that they went, actually, there's not much bigger than some of the ships we've actually already got in game. Yeah, so, see, that was, that was the thing. when Before the Agents of Yesterday content was actually being made, the dev interviews of... Uh, year two year three year four of star trek online of are we ever going to see the enterprise j was no we, that's that's not going to be in game that ship is way too big to be put in the game it, it may be 
the vast citadel ship like what we have in the breach run and then the game actually gets to agents of yesterday and they get their hands on the studio model uh which when i say studio model i mean the computer made model of the enterprise for enterprise and they look at it and they go this ship is actually just wide not big it's actually not much bigger than some of the dreadnought ships we already have. We could totally put this in game to which they did. And yeah, having a player being able to control one, it is still a massive hulking beast compared to just about every other ship because it's wide, not because it's huge or really, really long. Like I said, it's about as long, maybe a little bit longer than the Anorax. It's just really wide. Yeah, and there's also the thing that, yeah, there are some things that they could have had technical difficulties at one point, which, as things have moved and been improved upon, is no longer an issue. Then there's also things that they say no to something because it's to do with rights and licensing which may at one point when they originally did some inquiries about using some things it's like it's a no like a lot of the jj stuff that was for a long time a big no they couldn't use it but now they've been able to get that they can then do it so it's not always so yeah they may say no to something at one point and then it does become a yes. Like, so, like you know, like the like the, the conversation that went on with um our Vera during a post Dutch Rising launch. You know, he literally said we had this whole plan to make a Borg faction of, you know, the the new cooperative. And players would have had Borg ships, and they would have been flying around in Borg ships. The problem that we faced with the Borg ships is we couldn't make a player ship out of these Borg ships and restrict how they turned and moved because the the mechanics that govern how the Borg ships work in the AI can't be applied to the player ships. It just breaks the game. Yeah. So, you know, when the board, the board cube turns, it turns and it doesn't bend while it's turning. Player ships don't do that. They always bend when they turn. And res- putting that restrictive mechanic on to player-driven ships broke the ship engine. That's why we. That's the only reason we haven't had Borg ships yet. But there may be something that gets implemented later on that then allows that. So right. that could then change. Um, but I think a lot of people get hung up on the fact they said we wouldn't get this, and now they are, and we still don't have this. But that other item may still be restricted in one way or another. Um, so it's never. It's never as simple as ah, they said that, so why can't we have this um, sort of thing? But I think a lot of people forget that because it's just like, well, that they said no to, and that they said no to, and all of a sudden something's allowed, so why isn't this? Um, which is understandable, but still, 
it's just like, well, you've got something that you didn't have before. <laughs> and obviously people are enjoying it because there seems to be a lot of people getting it and flying it from um, what's been said. So. so Zombie also replied and said, so I was thinking about the game and what was said on the show, and here are some of my thoughts. The arena of Sompek was great. I ranged from about 14 to 76 in my runs. Holy crap. Uh, okay. Um, only one person complained about the delay, but he attributed it to the self-seeking minds. Once those would pop, things would advance. I I used those kinds of minds, so I tried to limit their use uh, to when the enemies were in large numbers. Things went faster. So he at uh so there is at least uh what? Which bit you stuck on? Sami is Sami is so exhausted right now. I I will I will I will I'm not going to say that on air. <laughs> it is unprofessional to say that kind of stuff on air. Uh the last sentence of his reply. The new story, Reddit, so that there's Inkethia going after crystals. No 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 I've I've highlighted it. Okay. Okay, so at least there was some plausibility and useful advice. So the person who had advised that um, all the pets that were being dropped, that if they weren't there, things would be faster. That's okay, what he meant. Yeah. That okay. He did find things speed up, so there was some plausibility to the advice that the person that he was with had given. It just, my mind could not wrap around the sentence. I'm sorry, zombie. I know I'm making it look like you have terrible grammar, but it's me more than anything. Aren't I supposed to be the one that's tired? <laughs> look, I speak two languages, English and broken English, and I usually speak broken English better than I do actual English. So when there's actual English and it's all confused, I go, what? Because I'm used to speaking broken English at the Oriental restaurant. <laughs> The Enterprise J. Sad to see it in game, and it won't be powerful. Uh, it won't be as powerful of a ship as the as that generation should be. The temporal ships all seem to be lobotomized from the power they should be having. I know that it's all about game balance, but still, it doesn't seem right. Now, see, I I understand this specifically because of the lockbox ships. Specifically because of the lockbox ships we've had in the past, like the Wells and the Mirror Universe versions. Those usually had a little note that came along with them that said, Oh, here's the Wells box. The people who get the Wells. This Wells has been gutted for all of it, almost all of its temporal other stuff than just what's in the ship. Yeah, because basically it's blamed on... Yeah, it's blamed by on the... Um, Tholians or right. the Ferengi or something like that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, like basically this ship, whoever had this ship before it came into the collection of the Ferengi was gutted. In the case of the Wells, it was gutted by the Tholians because Tholians and temporal stuff, uh, even back then. Yeah. The new story, Reddit. So the Zenkethi are going after the crystals. We knew that. And they tried a peaceful process. It failed. That's new. And the crystals can be used as an energy source. That's new, too. 
And it's good to see that not all Zenkethi agree with the current directive. And it's a widespread concern. So, and it's a widespread concern. Enough so that they have ha they have to use deception to protect the weapon. Too bad the science officer, too bad the science officer didn't succeed. Or did succeed. I don't know what you mean, because in the story he did not succeed, because the deception that he destroyed was not the actual weapon. Yeah, it might be that it's too bad the science officer didn't succeed, he just missed okay. out. Oh, okay. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know at this point. It could be one or the other. Do you remember the time I misread an entire freaking RP blog and made it more badass than it actually was? <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> when you when you start reading a blog and you actually do a better job reading the blog than the blog was actually written by the writer, something's wrong. Yeah, well, we've all read things different ways at some point or another. That's the nature of human perception. So, we come to the final piece of the night. Alex, how do you feel about being the last man on Earth when it comes to stow feedback? <laughs> well, feedback in general. Enterprise J. You know, when I read the announcement, I thought I might get angry, but it didn't happen. I guess for me, this game really did jump the shark with Agents of Yesterday. The Temporal Packs, the Connie, the, the JJ Connie and this, the Toss Connie. And since I read the discussion in this forum uh, about what it's going to take for the game to jump the shark, just because you jump the shark, that does not spell immediate doom. It just means that somebody did something so over-the-top silly that you can't take that person or show seriously anymore. For me, this game jumped the shark already. The Iconian War ended... The Iconians, with the Iconians going back into isolation. But we get to use all of their technology because it's fun. The Temporal War ended with us preserving the timeline, only to defecate all over the oh-so-precious timeline by using these Temporal ships because it's fun. And I would be very surprised if the upcoming Zinkethi War didn't end with us proto, uh, using proto-matter weaponry, or some other weapon of mass destruction. I mean, look at the Romulan flagships that are equipped with Thaleron weapons. Because we can, and it's fun. If fun is all that matters, I believe we should have a Tier 6 Classic Miranda, a Tier 6 Cavort, Tier 6 Kit Bashes, and, um... Let's throw in playable Borg ships and a First Contact Day Phoenix Smallcraft and a Tier 6 to plan a half, whatever the hell that is. Or how about a CVN-65? What Was that the registry number? Uh, Enterprise skin. Wouldn't that be fun? Essentially, you'd have a <laughs> you'd have a, a an aircraft carrier in space, literally, out of the Enterprise. Because Star Trek has always been about rejecting logic and reason and just indulging in self-centered hedonism with a complete and utter disregard for any sort of consequences. Well, look at that. I did get angry. Not because of the J, but because of fun. Okay, that rant was directed at the powers that be. Dear ship artists, I do not blame you for the Enterprise J. It was not your fault. You did what you could. But I think the Romulan ship looks really nice. How do you keep making these things? I mentioned it before, but I like every single Romulan ship. 
Again, the adapted chips and the scimitar don't count. So far, keep up the good work. Wait, there's a Klingon ship? Well, that's nice for them, I guess. It certainly looks Klingon, but who plays KDF anyway? Tonguey face emote. Or as a friend of mine likes to call it, when they're speaking on audio podcasts. Colon P. RP blog. A divided duty. Okay, nice blog. I didn't expect any in-depth analysis, because I can't be bothered. Uh, I mean, Cryptic likes to bemoan the fact that they don't have the budget to do this, or... The woman man power to do that. How they have to aim for the biggest bang for their buck and then get their team to pull together these well-written blogs, even though some of, the, uh, some of them have more logical flaws than others, and hide them away on the website. Remember how Trendy made an index page for the Iconian War story blogs? I do not, because I had to go looking back for an Iconian War blog and had to go through the forums, which was a nightmare, let me tell you. Well, a few episodes ago, we talked about a sphere builder def uh, defector. Uh, one of you called him a Tutarian defector, but you know what I mean. And it took me quite a while to find that blog again because I couldn't find an index page for the Temporal War blogs. How is that the biggest bang for the buck? I don't even double facepalm. Well, thank you everyone for your feedback. Despite a lot of sighing from Tunseal with the, <laughs> the slightly longer ones. <laughs> we oh, do enjoy I, don't, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem <laughs> reading them. It's just I have to come to expect them every week. <laughs> I know, I'm just teasing you. Um, I, ex but no. <laughs> I expect them every week now. I mean, I should be used to this by now, but it's it's like one of those things where you have a favorite food. And everybody else goes, you're still eating that? And it's at a point where everybody else is going, you're still eating that? And you're like, yeah, I know, but you're still there stuffing your face because you can't get enough of it. But yeah, thank you to everyone who has submitted feedback. Please oh, please and Alex put, a, to say. Alex, Alex put a winner in chat. Alex put a, a winner in chat. And I'm still waiting for a tier six Apollo 11 to celebrate the moon landing. <laughs> um... I think somebody else had also put about. Uh, oh, excuse me. Somebody else had also put about uh, tier six um, Phoenix Dreadnought. I think that might have been Sybil. Oh, okay. Thank you, Alex. The Taplana Hath is the Vulcan ship that made first contact in first contact. Okay, cool. Um, I have a question though. When are we hmm. going to get the Vulcan Dreadnought from Enterprise that show up uh, that shows up in Daniel Schematics? It's the Vulcan ship that has the three Alcubar rings on it. Do you remember that ship, Midnight? Uh, vaguely, yeah. You only see it for a couple of seconds. Um, mm -hmm. I would have watched it last July, so... Seen a lot of tricks since then. Yep, thank you all. So, community questions for this week. So, question one. What do you think about the new ships in Star Trek Online R&D packs? Question two, do you like the recent Star Trek timelines changes to the gauntlet? And question three, what do you think about the two newest additions to the Star Trek Discovery cast? So, as always, you can reach out to us on any of the social media platforms. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Google+, Star Trek Riser, Player.me, 
I also post to um, Reddit and Trek BBS as well. If you use those, you can email us at hosts at tribblesandecstasy.com. Or you can leave us a message using the SpeakPipe widget on any of the Tribbles pages on hollowsweetmedia.com. Alternatively, you can head over to speakpipe.com forward slash Tribbles in XTC and leave us a message there. If you can't always download us, you can also listen to us in syndication on truckradio.net and subspace-radio.net. We're on those two stations on Wednesdays. You can also find us in syndication through iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. So, until next week, thank you for joining us, and take care. Goodbye, everyone. Bye, everybody. satellite radio for our remastered shows and more you can follow us on twitter at tribbles in xtc or if you have any questions or comments please send an email to tribbles in ecstasy at gmail.com join us next week for another episode of tribbles in ecstasy the only place where tribbles and klingons are friends